No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. I'm in here today with Van Lathan. What up, what up? How you doing, man? I'm great, my brother. You feeling good? Always, man. The veganism thing ain't wearing you down? Nah, dog. You know what? It, it was, that was one of the stupidest fucking things I've done in a while. Oh, okay. So that you have a negative opinion of it. For me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's a different thing with everybody. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like, I try to do it. I tried to go completely vegan for three days. Right. And just had these weird, fucked up headaches. I felt terrible. Right. But now... I'm pescatarian, uh, so I'm not eating any meat, just like fish. Right. And I feel better. haven't lost no weight or nothing like that, but I feel better. For me, I don't even understand how to <clears> think <throat> about veganism anymore. I was when I was in high school. I did a couple of years as a vegan. Like, high school, huh? Yeah. I was just like this misguided little punk rock kid who I thought that this was a good idea. Right. And uh, then at a certain, but like over the years, like as I've gotten more into having to learn how to eat right and lose weight, when I think about the healthy things to eat, I think about protein and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I look at a big steak salad chicken salad whatever i mean that's where you want to gravitate to as soon as you're vegetarian it's like how the hell am i going to get full off of just straight vegetables that that to me is really challenging that uh, that's the thing i don't know what to eat mm. like it was when i was doing the vegan thing like i didn't know i mean I, apparently if you stay by if you stick to it long enough like you'll figure that out mm -hmm. but i had no clue what to eat mm. to feel satiated to feel cool to be able to still go out and hoop and do all of this stuff so i'm just like whatever man i need some sort of dense protein and i guess the seafood's been that so it's many cool. people i know who, who go vegan they just end up on like tortilla chips a lot of french fries, fries. Like the exact things if i were to tell somebody how to lose weight those are the, like the main things that you, you need would to cut get out, out. yeah because yeah. you see it's not like if we keep it at a buck it's not like you see a bunch of hard body vegans mm. you know what i mean like a bunch you need the protein for something but it's definitely a healthier lifestyle so you see people that their overall health mm. has improved but if you're talking about like physically aesthetically looking the way it's not like the vegans look that particularly great right but so you you went from by the way you should check out vegan bodybuilding competitions versus non like do they look better they i mean they look okay but then if you look at the dudes who are not on steroids but are eating meat and the bodybuilders they're way bigger and then you look at the dudes who are on steroids and they look like freaks right of course um Okay, but so is the weight loss thing still a constant struggle in your mind? Do you still not feel happy with where you're at? Because for those out there who don't know, you used to be much heavier. 375. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're right now what? Oh, right now I'm about 240. Nice. But normally, like, it, I'm a little even, like, thinner than this. Normally I'm around 225, 230, but you know. Right. Uh, sometimes a nigga be eating. But the veganism. Right, exactly. All <laughs> right. But, um, no, for me, there's, like, a anything that you want in life, once you get there or once you kind of deciphered in your mind it's a, con a constant math problem that you got to do to stay where you're at right mm. if you if you're a writer how you get your writing time in if you're mm. a basketball player how you get your hoop time in whatever so for me knowing how my body is and knowing how you know what i'm predisposed to is just something i got to live with mm. so it's not like before i just didn't give a fuck i would eat whatever i wanted to eat i wouldn't work out at all now i know when i'm when things are getting a little out of hand you got to kind of move it back so mm. i just watch it it's more of a lifestyle thing now than actual diet yeah like and, and it's weird the more you know about exactly what's going on in your mind like i can imagine there's a lot of people who live sort of like a unquestioning life in terms of their own relationship with food. Like I can identify exactly what's going on now when I do feel the need. Like I ate four fucking candy bars like a week ago, Good you know, and mm -hmm. it's just like, I know exactly what was going on because I had had a really like long, hard day at work. And I just knew that I wasn't going to feel satisfied by going home on the, the, sitting on the couch and smoking a blunt, watching TV that I just needed to like somehow indulge myself and make myself feel good in a way that I had control over and that I didn't feel like I could get in that moment. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Crazy. For me, if I don't get enough sleep, I eat bad. Really? So if like, let's say it's a 
because we wake up mad early to go to TMZ. Like I'm mm -hmm. in the office by 6 a.m. Okay. Like every morning. So if I want to go out and do something, if, if my homies come in town or something like that, we're going to be out wherever we're going to do. I might get back at the crib, 2.30, 3 o'clock. That's only like an hour and a half, two hours before I got to wake up and get moving to the office. That's brutal. That day, I'm going to eat like shit the whole day. Mm. I just can't, like, like I don't know if I'm not, if I'm too tired to have discipline or if I just need it to, to stay going. But days like that are the days. But if I'm, if the rest of my life is on track, you know what I'm uh -huh. saying? If I'm sleeping right, if I'm working out right, the eating part is actually kind of easy to me. Right. Yeah. And it's like, for me, a weird part about it too is how I can be so committed and so disciplined about certain things. Like I would never not show up ready for an interview. I would never, you know, there's just a lot of things I wouldn't fuck up on, but somehow it's just torturous to force myself to do cardio to, or to, <laughs> to avoid like eating something delicious at the end of the night or whatever. It's, it's like, but then there's other people that you'll talk to who that's just built into them. Like I'm sure there's plenty of ball players that you've read about or that you know who that it's just built into them that they train however many hours a day i listen to joe rogan talk about him waking up at four in the morning to train and shit and it just mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't resonate with me like there's just a, a warrior gene that some people have that this just seems like it's lacking in certain people and do you have any cardio activities that you like yeah like so if you like for me the way i really lost the weight was on a basketball court mm. so I, that's something i had given up when i had kind of adopted a sedentary lifestyle like but when i got back on that with the diet, it melted off. Mm. And then after that, you kind of, listen, if you can push through that that early part of it, like when I started boxing, like really heavy, I started running mm. because if you're in a boxing ring and you run out of wind, you get your ass kicked. Mm. So when you hear about Joe, Joe Rogan even, that's a, that's like a combat fighter, right? That's yeah. a guy who does many disciplines of combat fighting. He's got a reason to right. be in shape. So yeah. if you're sparring and you're in there and you get tired, you automatically pay a price. If you're mm. on the basketball court and like, I'm competitive, right? So if you can't keep up, if your cardio's not there, you pay a price for it. Mm. So that made me start running. And after I started running for a little while, like you feel really good after a long run. Mm. Like if I go out and run five miles right after that, the endorphins kick in and it's a little high and you'll get addicted to that. Like you'll fuck your knees up mm. chasing a runner's high. So sometimes just initially you got to push through it. But then once you push through it, you get used to it, you're straight. Definitely. Did the TMZ lifestyle sort of like make you make you get more out of shape is there is there a lifestyle associated with being a part of the organization where you just have to constantly be kind of moving around so <clears throat> when i first got to tmz i had a different job right so i had lost the weight in 2007 before i even got to tmz oh, okay. right but, but when i first got to tmz i had a different job and that job was like being a camera guy and doing actually the tmz tour that you see oh right right, right, right. Okay. so i did that for a while so for that it was like you would go in and you would do the show and then you might not have to work your shift to like six or whatever like that. So you can go hoop, do whatever. Now, though, I'm on three shows. I'm doing the whole nine. I'm doing live hits all day. So working out now is actually harder because mm. you just you just basically have to, you know, some people say, yo, we work six to four thirty. I work six to really six thirty because I just I put in the workout as part of my day. Right. Because if I go home. And, and get into Netflix or whatever the fuck, I'm not doing it. So right. I just do it right there at the office. Yeah. So what is the average day now? Tell me, take me through what, what you're actually doing when you're in there. Okay. So I uh, get to work. Um, for the first couple hours before we shoot the first show, I um, normally like uh, do live hits. So, you know, you see somebody come on TV like, yo, we're going to throw TMZ and he's going to talk about celebrity news, blah, blah, blah. I do a bunch of those. And then mm -hmm. I do the first TMZ show. Um, the, which is the one that comes on at night, like with Harvey's holding the cup and all of that. Right. So I do that joint. And then after that, uh, I got maybe like a couple of hours where I'll do more live hits, write some stories that go up on TNC Sports. And then after that, 
do TMZ Live, uh-huh. which is the one where it's Harvey and Charles. Right. Boom. So I do that uh, for about an hour, uh, hour and a half, and then I go on a walk. Uh-huh. I take three walks a day, and by the time I go on this 45-minute walk, I come back, and it's time to do TMZ Sports. That's the sports show. That's from like 1.30 to like 2.15 or whatever. 45-minute like walks, so those are your breaks? I, I, well, I mean, I don't know what everybody else does, but I got to get out the office. Right. So I, walk, so I, walk, I take one walk at lunch. And then I take two on the, on other parts of the day. Those are you are working on your phone or anything during this? Sometimes or? talking yeah. to my manager, talking to whoever, like catching up on shit, talking to people and stuff like that. Right. Sometimes, um, but uh, and then after that, write stories for the next day, go home. Right. So that takes you throughout the whole day. Do you feel very like? Or do you feel satisfied in like your urge to grow as a as a you know in your career as a creator, et cetera? Like, and, and have you just worked your way up to this point where you have so many responsibilities? And could you have easily just sort of kept coasting and been like sort of a real mid-tier employee there? Probably not. Really? It, it probably they as my profile there grew, they kept wanting me to do more. Mm. So they kept wanting me to speak in more places and 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 be more visible and stuff like that. So it would have been impossible for me mm. if I wanted to make more money or if I wanted to um to to continue to have any sort of uh, I guess rank or tenure in the office I had to keep they kept asking me to do more like I was doing the tours and playing basketball and doing camera or whatever and they wanted me in the office that we were starting TNZ Sports and we were all real proud of TNZ Sports and it was something that they knew I had knowledge about and that it was a startup for them so for me it would have been impossible Right. Um, as far as the things that creatively you want to do you know I think that anybody in the world will tell you that having a day job it's not the way to maximize your creative output. Right. Things that you want to do for yourself, things that you want to get done for yourself, any mark you want to leave on this world, uh, any change you want to make in your community and society, is going to be severely hampered by having a day job. Now, right. a lot of people have to have them. You are one of the lucky people that does not have to have one. Uh-huh. Um, but a, a day job is just going to detract or subtract from all of that, right. no matter what that day job is. That day job could be the fucking NBA. Yeah. As long as you're a basketball player, you're not going to be the rapper you think you should be. That, see, that's what's interesting to me about you is that you seem to have been able to sort of leverage this day job into getting yourself into a position that you probably couldn't have gotten into as easily in another way, which I think is really interesting because that's kind of the best thing that you'd think that you'd be able to get out of any corporate job is to be able to sort of use it to up your profile enough that you don't even necessarily need it anymore. Yeah, I mean, for that, in terms of that, I mean... That was both them and me, to be real with you. Mm. They kept wanting more from me. I want more for myself, so it was easy to kind of make that happen. But eventually, I just think that if you have your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own goals, then you want to be able to attack those things individually and (laughs) being tethered to any company, especially a company that has um, uh, such a reputation and is so well-branded, which Mm. TMZ is incredibly well-branded. And you'd be... You'd be unambitious if you, you didn't look around and think, okay, what could I do if I wasn't with them? Mm. You know what I'm saying? But, of course, being on TV three times a day, every day, for eight years, mm. is the mining that you had to do to get to the point to even have those conversations with yourself. Right. But it's honestly, from my mm-hmm. perspective, as someone who's kind of always just made their own content, done their own thing, it's like that. I find that very impressive that you've been able to sort of exist in that system for eight years without at some point doing something that kind of fucked it all up. What you mean? I, I don't know. I just feel like being in that like corporate environment for that long that at some point like something would go wrong. But that's like impressive to me that you've been able to sort of like function in that system. Well, I mean, way. really, to be real with you, I thought that the yay shit had gone wrong. Mm. Like for me, when I when when 
when I, you could ask, you know, I'm sure you, you didn't have Charlemagne up here, but you could ask him. Like when, when I got, when I got off the phone, I called him. I was like, yo, I fucked up. Really? I was like, yeah. I was like, like Ye popped up at the office and I had been feeling a certain way about that for a while. And, and yo, me and him had a shout match. Mm. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone and I'm talking to people. I'm like, yo, man, this really went left. Like I was, we were going back and forth. I was yelling to the top of my lungs, like because going back and look on looking at it, I was like, yo, I was pretty respectful in that moment. Mm. But in the moment, all I knew is that I was raising my voice. Right. And so, uh, and I always try to maintain cool, even when I'm mad pissed off, just because of how things, how I see things go in Baton Rouge. Like Baton Rouge, two niggas start yelling, then you know mm. whatever has to happen happens. But so that was one of the times I thought I had really messed up, but. It ended up being one of the best things that ever happened. It worked. That was crazy. Yeah. I can't because at the same time, though, I mean, from your perspective, it's like this is TMZ. They love good content. Good video content is gold. Good video content involving Kanye West. That's like the number one thing they're looking for. But was your perspective like, are they going to think that I made it too much about myself or that I just like butted in when I shouldn't have? You should have just kept him ranting because he probably would have ranted longer if you had Well, it just involved. disrupted the whole show. Right. And it was even hard to get the show back on, on track after that. It just disrupted the whole show. Mm. So I didn't know. I mean, looking back on it, it was probably stupid to think that that was anything other than like what they exactly wanted to happen a big huge moment with a big huge star coming into the office but it just it just kind of it, it took the show off the rails mm. like you know then Kanye was where he was and then Candace came up and they were doing their whole thing but it wasn't the same like after that was over what's so, your opinion of Candace um what's my opinion of Candace this is what I think I think that for someone I don't agree with not Candace's positions mm -hmm. I mean I don't agree with her positions but we have to have a diversity of thought in society, right? Right. You have to have people that are on all sides of this thing. You have to have a diversity of thought. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I think what I most vehemently disagree with Candace Owens about is the method by which she's getting her thing out. So what I'm saying is that if Candace Owens thinks sincerely that black people have spent too much time being on the Democratic plantation, as she likes to call it, and she thinks that the left hasn't given black any black people anything for the allegiance uh, that we've had to them for a couple of generations. Uh -huh. Maybe she has a point there. Maybe that's a conversation that needs to happen culturally, not just with black people, but with any people who support any politician, a political movement, right? Right. But I think that to attack so many different people in the way that they attack, right? If you get in a conversation with like Candace or Tommy Lahren, I'm sure it's a lot different talking to them human to human, uh -huh. but to spend all day firing bullets at people and calling names and doing all of that stuff, it kind of builds a wall the, between you and a lot of the people that you might be attacking. Like if you attack Angela Rye or if you attack people like that, it's it's not constructive because now a lot of people that you actually need to reach out to, if you're, uh, if you're, point of view has merit, they're not going to fuck with you because you are putting them in an enemy position. Mm -hmm. Like if you're calling people that look at the history of black Americans in a specific way, if you say that they are worshiping victimhood mm -hmm. or that they have a victim mentality or, or you, you're lobbying pejoratives at them the entire time, well, how can you expect those people to want a coalition build with you when you're putting them in a position where they, where they, feel inferior right. um, to what it is that you're saying. So it is not that I don't have a problem with black people being conservative or black people being on the right. I don't agree with those viewpoints, but I think especially culturally within one another, 
there's a way that we should talk to one another mm. and a way that we should relate to one another. Right. And I think that that should be done with a little bit more caring and a little bit more respect. And that's good. That goes on both sides. Right. But Candace has such a following. That's the only thing I would say to her. No problem with anybody that's on the left or anybody that's, or excuse me, on the right or anybody that's doing that. But when black people talk to each other in public, we should show respect to one another. Mm. If you look at, I, I think that she's such like, she's the Trojan horse of that whole TMZ situation because if you pay attention to what Kanye was saying at that time on social media and stuff, it was so obvious that he was just starting to sort of parrot her talking points, which mm -hmm. if you've paid much attention to the conservative media are just sort of like the basic boilerplate conservative talking points and then all of a sudden you have Kanye communicating them, also shouting her out on Twitter and then there was this sort of like a, abrupt breakup like a couple weeks later where it almost seemed like his team might have like intervened and really sort of said like you can't keep so closely associating yourself with her like you got to assume that there's some attempts being made by his team to sort of put out these fires that he's starting and that that seemed like to me like it was might have been one of them well as far as that situation with her directly i can't speak to it but i do know that there were people in yay's life that um that sort of circled the wagons at some point to mm -hmm. make sure that Kanye had the information that they felt like he needed and would be closest to his heart. I can't say anything about the relationship between Kanye and Candace because, you know, it, 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 with creators of that level, you know, people, you, you fuck with people on that level, it, they very rarely build long-lasting new relationships. Think about the, the mm -hmm. songwriters and the rappers that have come in and out of Kanye West's life, not just political people, but all kinds of people, right? right. So it might be a number of reasons there, but I think that one thing that he learned from that whole situation is just how big his voice was. Mm -hmm. I think that he always felt it. Um, but actually, me and him have had some correspondence where he says, like, you know, he, he realized how much what he says uh, uh, affects people. Mm -hmm. And for him specifically, if he's going to say something to be serious about it and want it to affect people and change people, he's got to do it in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And maybe her way might not be the best way, but who knows? I mean, like, it, it seems right now that... Um, that you have more sort of new ideas popping up in the black community than ever, like mm -hmm. not just politically, but religiously, uh, all different types of they all different types of ways. So, so we're almost figuring out on the fly what it is that we really believe after some a couple of generations. Right. Like the, you've seen this complete and total sort of like free for all in terms of progressive ideas being put into the mainstream over the past year or so. When you look at all these Democratic candidates, there's so much further left. Actually, that's that's an interesting question to ask you. Do you feel like all this Democratic infighting, you hear you you see the right make so much out of it, like as if you know Trump is definitely going to win because you've got like the Nancy Pelosi's beefing with the the squad, et cetera. Do you buy into that idea? And how do you think that Democrats or people who want who want purely to get Trump out of office should do you think that they should moderate their beliefs to make the Democratic vote seem a little bit more appealing to people? Do you think there's any validity to that line of thought? Well, I don't believe in moderating your beliefs at any time, any place ever. Uh -huh. I believe if you believe something and you have to say it, then you got to do it right because I think in the end, if you want nothing more to win than your truth, whatever that truth is, I don't give a fuck what it is. So I don't believe in moderating anything ever. What I do think though is that. Democrats don't have an identity. Mm. They don't know who they are, right? You got a bunch of old white dudes that are that are telling you, yo, we got to go win voters here and here and here, so this is the way we got to do it. You have a bunch of other people who see a lot of problems in society that might be seen as being more progressive or further left that are trying to advance their positions, um, and those people are being met with that can't win. Mm. Really, the Democrats don't know what will win. They don't know how they need to win. Mm. Trump fundamentally changed 
the rhythm of politics in America. And I don't know if it'll ever go back to the way it was before, right? He completely threw it off rhythm. America right now is in an arrhythmia because um, of Donald Trump. You don't know if you're supposed to go out there and be insulting. You don't know if you're supposed to just serve your base. You don't know if you're supposed to go out there and be incredibly aggressive and be combative. You don't know what it is that you're supposed to do. So what you see is different candidates on the on, on the left doing a little bit of all of it. Mm. Um, you see some people throwing, like, like Trump came with like wild ideas that really got his base, you know, like I'm going to build a wall, like I'm going to have a Muslim ban, even though that wasn't such a wild idea. Other presidents had done versions of that. Um, and he said all of these things and he got people really fired up about him. <clears throat> and that's how you get 20 or 30,000 people or whatever it is to a rally. Mm -hmm. So the Democrats feel like that they have to do, you know, little parts of all of that. I'm going to throw out some ideas that I know uh, are just going to pander directly to people. And then I'm going to do some things that I know uh, are going to be seen as uh, strong and I'm going to make sound bites. So I'm going to do all of this when really what they should do is as a left, as a coalition, as a group of people who have a certain political ideology is decide like what their party is, like what their identity is. Mm. And there's a couple of different things that they would need to do that. But the one thing that they would need to do uh, more than one thing they need to have more than anything is authenticity. And I don't know how authentic the field is right now. Mm. I like some of them. I, I, I like some of them a little bit more than others, but um, I just don't know if we're getting the real versions of any of these people right now. And it's, but it's about what you emphasize, because, you know, you can imagine that to some significant segment of the Democratic vote, the issue of like trans bathrooms or whatever is really important. But then you have a whole another section of people who probably look at that is this completely frivolous concern. And any time spent talking about things like that are almost an, an affront and an assault on the likelihood of Trump getting elected it's like mm. and, and and it's what the problem is too is that the right is so good at weaponizing the farthest left uh you know traits or the conversations that they're having and then taking those and presenting it as if this is like mainstream left concerns and they virtue signal less mm. i mean i think you know some of the opinions on the right i think are are, are wrong some are dangerous and some are vile but that's really what they think mm. you know what i mean like that's really how they feel so at the end of the day, you have to give them that. Mm. I think sometimes um, liberals, and I am a bleeding heart, big time liberal, so I have to watch myself for doing this as well. We want everybody to feel so empowered so much to where we pretend to understand things that we really don't. Mm. We pretend to be allies to causes that sometimes, um, and that's how you, you get in trouble. That's how you get guys, um, you know, not to diss them, like Alec Baldwin, who is a huge, huge supporter of GLAAD, but gets caught saying the F word every time he gets mad at somebody. Mm. You start to wonder, well, what it is that this, the, the guy, this guy really believes. And the, the right will poke holes in that hypocrisy. They'll poke holes in the hypocrisy of, you know, if you're taking money from certain people, if the, the, the Democrats claim to be about getting the money out of politics, they take as much corporate money as anyone. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like, it depends. The guy who I get a lot of my political philosophy from is Chomsky, Noam Chomsky. And if you read Chomsky, there's, it's a very binary way of looking at the world. Mm. It has to do with solidarity, morality, the common good of a, of a society, and whether or not what it is that you believe is trying to get to that. Like what's good for everyone. Mm. And, you know, and what's good, good for everyone is probably decentralizing power, to be honest with you. It's prob probably a system that doesn't lend itself to this incredible income inequality that we have right now. Mm -hmm. But I can guarantee you one thing, neither side wants to hear that. Mm. Neither side 
wants to see true power back in the hands of the people that have their lives affected every day by these decisions. Mm -hmm. Neither side wants that. The left doesn't want that. The right doesn't want that. The country has never been, been about that. Mm -hmm. You read guys, you read Madison or Jefferson or any of these guys early on, they warn against sort of pure democracy and putting that in people's hands. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, if you read Wealth of Nations past the first paragraph, which people don't really read past the first paragraph, but if you read past it, uh, Adam, Adam Smith will talk about, he'll talk about the vile maxim, which is the masters of mankind saying that the way they should run society is all for us and nothing for anyone else. Mm. So he's warning about that even back then. So the fact that we have a society like we have right now doesn't have to do with any one political ideology. It has to do with corporate wealth being centralized in America to a, to a, to a point to where it's very difficult for you or me or any group of people to make a difference and really puncture through that uh, to, to, to get power back into their own hands. Mm. And that doesn't have much, very much to do with politics. It has to do with economics. But do you think that we have any chance of like flattening of income inequality? Not really. Is there any logical path that's going to get us there? Not really. Because it's a bunch of common folks against a bunch of geniuses with millions or billions of dollars at their hands. You're, you're too far behind the eight ball. Like, mm. you're, like the, the best thing that you can do, I mean, really, to be honest with you, the, the best thing that you can do is to make small decisions in, in your community, right? So if you're in a black community, if you're somewhere and, and you know that the government isn't going to make decisions that are going to impact where you live in any positive way, not directly, you have to make those decisions. You have to decide to support one another, right? You have to decide to invest into each other's business. You have to take, you have to have like little fiefdoms where you are in control of it. Because if, if, if you wait for any type of legislation that's gonna put a factory back in your community or any type of legislation that's gonna uh, make it easier for, uh, for that's gonna donate money to public education or anything like that, that's not gonna happen. But it's kind of like you're asking people to, to sort of outthink the billions of dollars that are spent on advertising that hit their, their eyes and their ears every, every year. You, well, you're asking people essentially to unlearn, right? Mm. You're born into this, like, there's specific advertising for kids. Mm. Which like, seems particularly sinister, right? Yeah, there's like there's something in um there's a something in advertising called a nag factor. Like what there was it was um it was realized some time ago that, you know, kids, although they don't have any money, right? They used to like not market anything to kids. Mm -hmm. They don't have any money, but they do have influence. Meaning the kid can nag their parents about something for X amount of time and the parents to get over it uh, will buy the kid what they want. Mm -hmm. So after a while, advertising agencies started honing in on them to get kids to nag their parents. Right. So you're building a consumer relationship. You're turning a human being into a consumer from a very, very early age. Right. Like you don't know anything better than you know about how to buy something and have something that you don't really need. and not only that, but that having something and somebody next to you not having it makes you better than them. So that's something that's so ingrained into you to unlearn it and want you and the person that lives across the street from you to have something like equality seems like an alien thing, almost un-American. Mm. I mean, to, see, to, to, to care about splitting the pie equally so everybody can eat doesn't seem like what America is about. Mm. It seems like America is about, oh, I'm going to take my talent, I'm going to do all this, blah, 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 blah. But what you don't know is like you're playing a game that's really, really pretty rigged mm. from the beginning. Like it, 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 
the corporations and the banks and things that are like kind of moving and shaking. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but they've been doing this for a long time and mm-hmm. they're really, really good at it. Right. So what do you, what do you do? How do you live your life differently to, to sort of undo these things in, in small ways? Or do you think it's, is it worth it to try to sort of unlearn that type of behavior? Grassroots organizations mm-hmm. are the best way. Right. Like reaching out, like holding hands with people who have a different view, uh, a sort of a, a, a a different code, a different expectation in society and trying to get things done are the best way. People mm. working with people. Did you have a more idealistic time period in terms of the power of the internet? Like it was supposed to sort of erase hate and help us arrive at healthier ideas. And it seems like it's pretty much inevitable at this point that it's having a far worse impact on our society than we ever could have imagined. You know what's crazy? <laughs> so... The first dude I ever knew that had internet um, was my homie Charles. He had Prodigy Internet. Mm-hmm. I remember walking into his crib, because they was kind of rich, and seeing Prodigy Internet, right? Mm-hmm. And going, damn, like you can do all of this stuff with this? And when I would visit at his crib and use the internet, at first it was all looking shit up, doing all kinds of stuff like that, whatever you could do on Prodigy, right? right. Then... I didn't fuck with the internet for about two more years, about 96. And my man, uh, a homeboy of mine named Jabril, he had it at his crib, but it was like the dial of internet shit. And I realized early that the internet was gonna descend into something that um, (laughs) wasn't useful at all because all we did on the internet and all I've done since was download porn. No. (laughs) So, So like we used to sit there and wait because I'm, I'm 39. So we used to sit there and wait for one page, right. one picture to print out. And once that happened, the internet was a fucking wrap. Right. That was it. Yeah. All I used the internet for was hedonistic shit. For it years. Was, it was for years. It, <laughs> like, all, like, all I used the internet for was, to, was for dumb shit. Make yourself feel better. I used to download music on it. Mm-hmm. Back when they had Napster and iMesh and the real player. Like... Using the internet as a resource to where I would go on internet sites and get smarter with it, literally a new thing for me. Yeah. When you started to really like, I remember when I just realized like, oh, I can Google things now. And that was just sort of like a big moment. And then I remember like, you know, I I had a girl I was hanging out with and I sort of realized like, holy shit, this girl's Googling way more than me. Right. She's she's Googling all kinds of shit. She just Googled how to fix her microwave. (laughs) That never used to occur to me. Also, I just want to say the first day I ever was on the internet, I saw a girl eat a turd. Go. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) And so for for me, it's like you're seeing all of these like these memes. I remember it was the the fucking dude who was singing about the um, the mini mall. And all of that shit back in the day, like oh, the mini mall, the million mall dude, all of that stuff. And then I started to read, and I started to realize it's declassified documents on the mm. internet. It's like really almost anything you want to learn in life, you can learn on there. So at this point, how smart you want to be is completely up to you. Mm. It's completely up to you. There's not one piece of knowledge besides you know. I guess tinfoil hat theory, knowledge, whatever people that, but there's not one piece of knowledge that you can't access on the internet. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm older and I realize that my brain and my my worldview matter, not just to me, but to other people, um, I spend more time looking for other shit. Mm. 
So you, in your your own ways, use it in a very positive way, which, yeah, totally, like, actually, that's totally what made me start doing a podcast in the first place, was just sort of getting deeper and deeper into other people's podcasts, reading blogs, just getting deeper into the internet and just sort of finding myself in these wormholes and just learning about stuff and wanting to, like, express it in some way. But... I, when I'm saying the, the, the power of the, the internet for evil means, I mean, I'm more referring to, you know, the Russian disinformation that it seems like we have, like, almost no chance of, of beating and, like, just knowing that the, the idea of either side getting along in a way that is healthier or better than even what we have now seems fairly naive because it's hard to imagine the, the various agents that are sort of coaxing along whatever narratives we end up sort of uh, settling on and agreeing are what our culture is going through. It's almost impossible to imagine that letting up. And, you know, the, the, even the legitimate media uh, organizations are almost complicit with it as well because they're sort of propping up the most extreme uh, conversations that are taking place on social media and everything like that. Well, now, I mean, the, the, the media organizations are in a kind of a no-win situation. And the reason why... I look at it like that is because they have to cover things that are going to make people watch. Like it, it's like it's <laughs> so the Washington Post is owned by Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a corporation that owns the information that you're getting. So the information that you're getting is owned by someone. Mm -hmm. So every piece of information that you get, no matter where, someone's paying someone to do it. So. The, the hope of getting unbiased media coverage in anything and media coverage that's not specifically trying to trigger you or make you want to come back or make you want to watch um, is just not a very realistic thing. Mm. Um, what I do think in terms of what you're saying is that there are so many ways for people to fuck with you now and manipulate you now that unless there is a concerted effort to have genuine information come to people by somebody that's trustworthy and that's in it for the right reasons, you're going to see more of what you see, right? Mm. So uh, perhaps if we didn't have a president who I believe doesn't really have any problem with Russian meddling, perhaps if it was more vilified, because you have one side because it's in their political interest saying, yo, this guy is a Russian agent and all of that, which I believe to be true to some degree, right? You have this guy that's all of this, but you have one complete, the people that are wearing shirts that say, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat, right? And so like when you look at that, if we're told for 200 and some odd years that the thing that makes us different is the fact that we have free and fair elections where the will of the people is reflected in the leaders that we choose, and then all of a sudden, one day the rules change and we don't give a fuck who is fucking with our elections, then part of the soul of the country has eroded. Right. And so what despite everyone who's maybe a deep state agent or maybe a misinformation agent, fake news or whatever, those people are going to have a field day with that because there's no even opposition to them. Mm -hmm. We're not even uh, We don't even have the unity of opposition. We can't even oppose them because we don't know once again, who we are. Mm. I think that um, the election of Barack Obama was a litmus test for America. I think that people like me made mistakes when Obama was elected president because I thought that that was the end of a certain segment, or excuse me, of a certain era in America. I really did believe that there had been a sea change right. and that things were never going to be the same again. I think that what started to happen is elites on the left um, didn't pay attention to some of the angst that people were going through. Mm -hmm. 
and that left left those people uh, uh, victims really to demi to demagogue. And if you look at it now, there's almost anything he can sell them. So if he sells them, that's really not so bad. What the Russians are doing, you hear people you, you say you say stuff like that to people, and they go, oh, "Well, we meddle in elections before." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, we do a lot of shit. We sponsor client terrorism all over the world. Like we do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You still don't like it when it's done to you. We're talking about America here. Mm-hmm. And if people are willing to kind of shrug these things off, and if there's no groundswell of public <laughs> opposition to them, then of course they're not going to get done. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Trump has a mandate from his base that I've never seen politically before. They really don't give a fuck what he does, right? Right. And so be because of that, the political, economic, and social capital that he can will is almost unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Unprecedented. I don't know how you beat it, to be honest with you. It's like he's the Russians aren't there. Okay, I'm, I'm cool with Putin. Not that bad. Like nobody cares. You know what's really scary is the idea of who the Republican candidate could be after Trump. Because say they manage to get somebody who's, you know, say they manage to get a Candace Owens, mm-hmm. which I don't know if she would necessarily be likable enough or serious enough for anybody to take her that serious. But like if someone who could sort of slide into that position and be a bit less reprehensible, it seems that that might be the, the move that they would make going forward, don't you think? Yeah, it depends. I, like I used to be able to kind of look at those things like it, it I don't know how it'll go. There's a chance that things self-correct and they realize things can't go this way for a long time. And there's been a lot of people who feel, um, I know a lot of people on the right who feel they, they didn't get some of the things that they thought they would get from from, mm. from President Trump's administration. Uh, so they might almost come back to what we know as uh, traditional Republicans or the traditional GOP. But to your point, it might be over forever. Mm. And if it is over forever, you have to wonder, is if in some time in the near or not so distant future, there's going to be some kind of mass bloody conflict in America. Could you see it? I could. It feels like the the, the preparation that they have or their, their ability to control the people revolting is so strong that it's kind of hard to imagine. It's, it's, it's imaginable to me um, that there would be mass widespread violence if Trump were to lose an election. Mm. Because if he loses an election... And he then, one or two things happen, right? If he loses an election, he says that election wasn't fair. Mm. Um, and that there's been, you know, they've conspired to get him out. They hate Trump. You know, there's going to be people who are going to want to go to the mattresses for that. Also, there could be a chance that Trump won't leave office. I think right. that you've, everyone's read that. So if Trump uh, alleges some kind of uh, voter tampering or voter fraud or whatever, Gets uh, sues, gets it through uh, the U.S. Uh, 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 attorneys, the U.S. circuit courts, and gets it into the Supreme Court where he has kind of his guys up there, and he wins that and gets four extra years or whatever would happen. There's a chance that people on the left mm. uh, uh, might think that that's the breaking point, and you might see widespread violence. But like, literally, I think that we have between 16 and 20 months to really figure out the future of America. Right, and that goes from uh, that's from a client change, a client, a climate change perspective. You know, really, that's the world, and from a political and social perspective. I think mm-hmm. that we are on the precipice of serious, serious danger. Right. So, fast forward, say Trump wins. How are you feeling after that? Like, how do you how do you continue to go from there? And what are the next four years going to be like? I think if Trump wins, like for me personally, you just got to keep doing what it is that you're doing, mm-hmm. and you have to really start to look at things in a micro level. You have to really control and affect who you can affect and control. Um, I think that the first Trump administration uh, was bad 
the next one would undoubtedly be worse. Mm. Um, but what what you definitely can't do is do what people do whenever they're poked by a bully, which is fucking panic. You definitely can't panic. You just got to get your knuckles dirty and fight a little bit. Mm. And I think if there's one criticism that I have of the left is they sometimes act like on that pussy shit. Mm. Like they're scared of a good fight. They're scared to get in the mud. They're scared to get down in the dirt. They're scared to really go in for what they believe in. They want to be a little too conciliatory. They want to be a little bit too liked. They want to be a little bit too this. It's some kind of some soft bullshit sometimes. Mm. Sometimes you just got to roll your sleeves up and get to fucking work. Mm. And if I was talking to any of the candidates on the left, I would tell them, man, it's time to get up, grab your lunch pail and get to work, man. It's crunch time. So some of the shit, and it's, it, you know, I don't know if they have the right personalities over there. I don't know what it is. But um, with me, no matter who's in the White House, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, when you look at a lot of the, the, the conversations that are taking place about fake news and the responsibility of the media and everything, like the majority of the stuff that TMZ covers is a lot less serious than stuff that's directly political. But is that kind of a internal monologue or is that a conversation that's kind of constantly going on within the office about how to report on things responsibly? Um, I think that, I mean, listen, the three guys who do what they do at TMZ, Harvey, Evan, and Charles, they are real newsmen. Mm. They care about being accurate. Um, they care about the news representing what really is happening. You know what I mean? They care about having solid sources. They care about that. Right. Uh, every mean, news organization gets things wrong. Even on just a personal level or even just caring about their own well-being, they don't have to give a fuck because they're serious getting sued and all this, right? No, I mean, they, they, I mean, they just, you know, Harvey can't, comes from a journalism background. Right. Uh, they care about that type of stuff. Not, I mean, obviously nobody wants to get sued, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but they need it to be real. They like the, the the way that you really, really, because even Adam, from a branding standpoint, if too much of your shit is bullshit, you can't build the type of uh, audience that you need sure. to have people coming back to your site. So mm. they really care about that. I would say that in any place where that's controlled by any people, you have a chance of people's inherent biases bleeding through the product that they have. Mm. And that has certainly been the case, in my opinion, at TMZ from time to time. Um, and I think, the, the, for me, the only thing that I can do is to make sure that if there's something culturally that I understand that they don't, uh, then I'm able to voice my opinion about it, maybe sit down and, and participate in the writing of a story or whatever. Uh, and, and make sure that it comes out in a way that I think is reflective of sometimes a cultural truth because there's absolute truth and then there's cultural truth. Mm -hmm. An absolute truth is did this happen, yes or no. A cultural truth is how and why it happened. Right. So you could paint somebody a bad person for doing something that reflects the fact that they adhere to a completely different set of rules than you do. Mm -hmm. And it would take somebody to explain that to you in order for you to get it. Have you ran into that situation where there's rappers, for instance, just sort of having their axes presented in ways that you didn't feel were accurate and you have to sort of leap in and give like a black perspective that might have been lacking? Well, not necessarily that weren't accurate, but I knew what they meant. Because mm. there's a lot of rap talk that yeah. if you read it literally, it sounds insane. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's not necessarily that it wasn't accurate, like he didn't do this or that didn't happen, is that I knew how it was meant. And maybe before you come down on somebody or you get all up in arms about it, if you kind of understand what the deal about it is, mm. then uh, 
like you would kind of you you would understand it, right? You'd get it. Like, and it's that's it's like that with almost any culture. Like if you if I told you one day that I belong to a group of people that on Sunday on Saturday we don't drive cars. We walk everywhere we got to go. Mm-hmm. We don't use any electricity. Or if I told you I belong to a group of people that we never use electricity. Or we're able to have five or six wives. Mm-hmm. Whatever. To for At the beginning, you're going to make a cultural judgment of that. But when someone kind of connects the dots for you and translates the culture for you, hopefully you can humanize it a little bit. And the only thing that you want in a situation where you're dealing with people's actions in their lives and not on television or anything else is you want it to come from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. You want people to know that... Any story that you put out is going to actually affect someone in their family. It's going to affect someone in their business. It's going to affect someone uh, uh, in their in their relationships with a girl, or in you know whatever they might have coming up, or in their past, or whatever. It's going to actually have an effect on somebody. Um, and as long as you feel like you can make that case to somebody and they're listening to you, I feel like I'm doing my job at TMZ. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like I have to do for rappers and ball players and people like that you know report it accurately just but make sure we reflect where they come from and how they look at it and all of that stuff and work with those people so that they have their side of it which is something that tmz does it's kind of weird when a rapper breaks <clears throat> through and all of a sudden becomes tmz worthy right it's a thing like with six nine i remember like all of a sudden he was on tmz and that was sort of like oh he's he's that big now yeah fuck Okay. There are questions. The question is, Van, is this a person that somebody... <laughs> right. Like, Van, is this... Like, Van, have you heard of Rich Homie Quan? <laughs> uh, do you, are you familiar with... Your, okay, Van, we got, we got a guy that's a young thug. Do you know who is young thug a thing? And it's about if the verb is dope enough. Because if it's Rich Homie Quan uh, threatened to burn down a building, mm-hmm. then, okay, boom, it's good. But Rich Homie Quan, you know, like, Young Thug doesn't really have to do that much to be newsworthy. Right. That's the way it is. Either yeah. either big story or big celebrity. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, but also, for me, one thing that I love about TMZ um, and my job there is I'm able to put artists on that I like. Mm. So I'm able to like Benny the Butcher, shout out to Grizel, that they were on TMZ last week. Oh, really? And that's because, you know, me and Benny were able to hook it up to where they're guys that like, now they would have never called me and asked to be on TMZ, right. ever. They would have never called me and asked to Wouldn't be on TMZ. Wouldn't even thought of it. No, would have, would have never thought about that. But for them, if it's just some on some cool promotional type cool shit and they out here, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I know where those guys going to be. Send a camera out there. Let them do their thing on TV. How did you contextualize it so it made sense for the TMZ audience when you're dealing with dudes like that that aren't as high profile? I, it's, it's about how you frame the story, how you pitch the story. So I'm in the office, I'm pitching the story. Uh, you know, I know that people might not know exactly who Benny and Conway and Westside uh, uh, are quite yet. They're right. going to know. But I know people might not know quite yet. But I know that they know if Jay-Z says he's fucking with them. Mm. I know that they know if there's a, a list put out um, I know they know the double XL cover, right? So, like, Hove had told uh, Benny not to do the double XL cover. Mm-hmm. I know the double XL, you just, it's all about linking them to fame so people who know who they are. Mm. You know, for a long time, to be real with you, I was trying to get them to put Cardi B on TMZ. Really? And her pictures would never make the show. Wow. And then one day, boom, you know what, what happened was Love and Hip Hop happened. And that's a show that's already so famous. If you're from in Love and Hip Hop, you're automatically worthy to be on kind of. On TMZ, but right. it's all—it's no, it's nothing. It's never anything personal. Yeah, it's all about sort of being able to report on people and cover people that people are going to care about, mm-hmm. and that's always a tricky thing because you have some people that have 
like, bro, like four million subscribers on YouTube, but they don't get recognized when they walk through LAX. Right. So it's always like who, especially now, it's it's, it's harder to tell than it's ever been through. Yeah. And you deal with that a lot, where it's like celebrities or the ideas are being thrown out there, and that is who, how famous they are. They're, they're YouTubers, but I mean, I know a lot of YouTubers that I know a gang of them that are huge on YouTube, but then in reality, they don't have any trouble walking around in public. Nah, they can't. Like the people don't know who they are. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? But but the, the, that community is that community even looks at celebrity in a different way. Right. When those community when when those people want to see those those celebrities, they can see them anytime that they want. They can see them on YouTube, mm -hmm. and then. These people have things and different things where you can go have have, have fun with them. You can mm -hmm. go like to different functions that they're having and stuff like that. They consume celebrity in a different way, um, and those the YouTubers they spend so much time making content that you're less likely to run into them. Mm -hmm. Now there are some people, the Paul brothers and other people like that. What's the little girl? Little uh, Tana. Nah, the other little girl. Little Tay. The one. The one. Nah, not her. Bad baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest hits. Whoa, Vicky. Oh, uh, not whoa, Vicky. The other little girl. The little girl. She like sixteen. She got like pigtails in her hair. She like she does. She does like all. Oh, she got sparkles everywhere. What's JoJo Siwa? JoJo Siwa. Yes. She's now, fabulous. She gets mobbed. She, yeah, I believe it. She gets mobbed. But she's also got her stuff on selling Target and shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she gets mobbed. So I'm not I'm not saying that they're not big celebrities. It's just sometimes you wonder. How the TMZ audience is going to, you know, look at them. JoJo Siwa is so big that I will see like like families will come in here and inevitably if the daughter is like, you know, like six to ten years old, she's got a big old bow in her hair, just like her. Right. It's so <laughs> weird. I've had rappers hit me up saying, like, yo, my daughter wants to meet JoJo. Can you make it it's happen? A, it's a big I fucking don't thing. Think so. And it's one of those things, it's one of those things that like you don't know how big it is until it dawns on you how big yeah. it is. Is she huge? But I mean, yo, you've been on TMZ. Yeah, but I had to be talking about both X and Tupac in the same headline. Oh, is that real? Or I had to have a gun in my face. But but <laughs> but you know what though? Here's the thing though: if you were walking through LAX, they would shoot you. Yeah, that's true. Like they they like they would shoot you because he would think of something on the spot right. to ask they, me that they was would, big enough. They would shoot you, boom, and it is 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 it's all of that. So you know. That's kind of a that's kind of a thing, now. right? And how? But how do you feel about people knowing how to and being able to game that system that TMZ and so many other institutions are in? Because, like, for me, if I was walking through the airport and the TMZ camera rolled up on me and started talking to me, the first thing that my brain goes to is what some fuck shit that I could say right now that won't irreparably damage my personal brand, but will get me on TMZ tomorrow. Well, see, that's and what everyone thinks that now. I know that's where the responsibility comes in, right? So mm -hmm. the responsibility comes in journalistically to where if you say something that, I mean, if you just say some wild shit, whatever, but if you say something that we can't verify or we think mm -hmm. is irresponsible or we think that will hurt people, you're actually lessening your chances that you make it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you say something that's really, really controversial, but within the realm of thought that a discussion can be had about, then yeah, but then you gotta own that, right? Mm. So um It's gotta be an opinion for the most part. It's gotta be like, it's gotta be like this is what I think about this yeah, because it this, can't be factually inaccurate. Right. Like this, this I feel like this. Mm. Like I feel like that. If you go on TMZ and you allege that someone did something to right. you and so and you can't prove that, that's not gonna get up there. Right. But if you go in there and you think, yo, I really don't. I'm really against women having jobs. I think women should go back to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you say that, then you yeah, don't get yeah. a headline. You know what I'm saying? So, um, like, like, like. But what if you see that coming in and you're like, man, I know Adam. He doesn't really think that. He's just saying that to try to get on TV. Now, I, now, now here's the deal. I mean, you if might think I, I really knew think you, yeah. if, right, if I knew you, I would say that. Right. I'd be like, yo, just let you know this guy. But here's the deal, though. If you saying something spicy like that, 
like, and you have enough celebrity cachet. It doesn't matter, yeah. Don't matter. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't care whether or not you mean it. Mm. I'm saying that if you said it, then you got to own it. You mm. said it on video. And I've told, I've told people that before. You said it on camera. You said that on video. The best that best that can be done in a situation like that is for me to be like in the room or somebody like, yo, man, this dude is a troll. He just be saying stuff. Now, if you do it too many times, they'll stop covering you. Right. If that if that's your wave every single time, then they're not stupid. I feel like that's kind of what happened with Lil Xan. He got covered so much about everything he fucking did for a while to the point where they just all of a sudden they were like, yeah, we're not even writing about this anymore. Yeah, it was. That was kind of crazy with him. Wait a minute. I don't know if I know who that is. Is Lil Xan the Tupac dude? Yes. The dude that said that like Tupac like can't rap or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he pulled a gun on somebody. At, at, you know what I'm saying? That went up, but yeah. he had to do that too. Yeah, he him, pulled man. a gun. Like that's when you really, when you pulling out the hammer on somebody at the at the at the, the, the parking the, the garage, parking or, garage yeah. or whatever, you desperately want to make TMZ at that point. Yeah. I don't know him. You know, I wish all people, you know, little dudes like that. Well, whatever they got to do, but if you diss Tupac at, or pull a hammer on somebody. You will probably make TMZ. Right. Facts. Yeah. That's easy. Um, people will always, like, the most sort of mediocre criticism of TMZ will always be, why don't you ever cover when someone does something positive? We do. And But how, how would you sort of coach them from, like, your sort of PR standpoint? Like, if you want to do something positive and get on TMZ, this is what you got to do. So this is, what I, this is what I would say. First of all. You want to do something positive, you want to get on teams, send it to me, we'll cover it. We do cover positive stuff. You know what the real problem is? Mm. Nobody remembers the positive stuff. Mm. The real problem is, like, we cover we cover positive stuff all the time. All the time. I can think off the, off the top of the head all kinds of positive things I've covered. Because I go, I don't really do negative stories there, right? Mm. I do cool stories, stories that, you know... Like if you go into a club and you drop one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, people love that type of shit, right? Mm. I cover, I do stuff like that, and then I do other positive stuff. We cover stories like that all the time. The problem is that what the people remember and what the people gravitate towards are the things that are negative, mm. and so that does two things. Number one, it puts less currency. On, on positive stories. And number two, it makes the positive stories resonate a little bit less. Mm. Now, I will say this, that's not to alleviate any news um, organization's responsibility to cover the totality of an individual. You cover someone every time they fuck up, you should try to cover someone when they're trying to do something good. Mm. I completely uh, agree with that. But what I would say is, People lean a little bit more into good news. We all need to do that, though. That's just kind of how we wired, though. Max Kellerman has a great, great quote, right? You, you, are you into sports? No. Not really. Um, Max Kellerman has a great, a great quote, and he says, everybody in the world's favorite sport is boxing. Mm. Everyone's favorite sport is boxing. It's like, why? He goes, okay, so if you go to a, uh, if you're on a street corner, right, and it's three different things happening on the street corner. One is a guy, two guys playing one-on-one, right? Another one is some kids in the street playing stickball. Another one is a pickup football game. Mm. And on the fourth side of the street is two guys fighting. Which one are you going to watch? Yeah. Everybody's watching the two guys fighting. And he goes, that's why your favorite sport is boxing. There's something that's hardwired into us as human beings that draws us to conflict. Mm. I don't know why that is. And that 
makes it kind of sad that boxing is not nearly as as popular as all the other sports because like and it was explained to me one time that people will always be able to uh, like will always gravitate towards like nationalism and pride in their region more so than they will focus in on individuals mm-hmm. so when you go and you watch you know like boston versus new york is like a great rivalry in all sports but then like you know when you, it's harder to create an identity besides an individual also boxing boxing's coming back now but boxing fucked itself for a long time by yeah. being not about competition like boxing became sort of an exhibition show where guys wouldn't fight each other and you can only gain people for so long till they realize y'all not serious about what y'all doing. And you could be a Yankees fan for your entire life. But, like, when I started watching UFC, I was a Brock Lesnar fan and the fool was out of there in, like, four fights. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so and so, there's a lot of brand building and shit like that that mm-hmm. goes into it. But I say all that to say that, like, you know, um, conflict and all of that stuff like that, you want to grab people. But I do think, um, honestly and sincerely, that of the organizations that I know and of the people that I know, TMZ, does its best, does its best to accurately report and portray things. Mm. That does not mean that the mistakes don't get made. That does not mean that sometimes I don't believe that we've been unfair. I think that you have human beings running things, and human beings do what they do. Uh, they do the best they can do, and sometimes they're wrongheaded about things. But uh, uh, whereas I'm not like a company man where I would spend a lot of time defending the company and all of that stuff like that, it's not, you know, I'm not all of that. I'm saying that I, I will say that, like, they try, at least. Mm. I think I heard you say something on another podcast where you were saying that you feel like TMZ is overall kind of dangerous or negative for your personal brand. Do you hmm. feel that way? No. Well, I mean, for me personally, I just think that there is a um, – it's not so much that it's, it's – it is and it's it, – yeah. I mean, to a degree, yeah. Like, for me, I think that being um, – that culturally there's a certain perception of it. Mm. And so because there's a certain perception of it, what happens is I get connected to TMZ stories that people might not like. Mm. So if, if the, if the, uh, if the website does something and it is covering a, 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 an important black artist, a black figure in a bad way, they say, van, how did you let that happen? Mm. And the reality is that I'm not an editorial voice at TMZ. Like I, I have input. I can, I can talk to people and be influential. Mm. But at the end of the day, uh, there are only a couple of editorial voices at TMZ, and those people make the decisions of what goes up. And it's not like a willy-nilly thing. It's a whole office of people that make those decisions. Mm. So I think sometimes um, it, it's, it's always interesting when you have a personal brand or when you have uh, people that look at you or look to you for a certain way. Um, and you are in part represented by something that you really can't control. Mm. I mean, you like you you can't control it. That's when you kind of have you have to find ways to make sure that people know what it is that you really think, what it is that you really believe. And one thing I will say is, even when all the Trump stuff was going on, uh, and TMZ was, in my opinion, uh, supportive of Donald Trump, all of those arguments and fights I was allowed to have on television. Mm. So it wasn't like I was behind the scenes saying, yo, we're all fucked up and we're not covering this fairly. We're all fucked up and we're like with this guy. I was able to have those fights on TV where everyone could see them so everyone knew where I stood. It's interesting because TMZ, like I understand that they do important work and that there's an extent to which, you know, clearly it's not a gossip rag and they're reporting on all kinds of stuff that other other 
companies just straight up don't go out of their way. I've like read all about the crazy research uh, stuff that they have and everything, but it seems like it's almost impossible to get the average person to understand that. And TMZ has sort of just become the sort of catch all term for anything that's like paparazzi gossipy type content. And it's weird because that in and of itself is why TMZ is such a dominant brand. It's like, it almost has to have that Sort of, uh, you have to serve your base, yeah. Like, yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't turn into you know, Al Jazeera, Z Magazine, CNN overnight. People that's not what people come to you for, right? People come to you for to, to, to learn about things that, that are funny, and people come to you to look at celebrity in a certain way. Mm-hmm. People come to you, a lot of people come to, to sites like TMZ to see celebrities to have see them getting taken down a peg. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people are into that, but sometimes they, they like that. So you gotta stay true to who you are, but I think that doesn't matter what you're doing, you can sell crack with in, with integrity. Right. Doesn't matter what you're doing, just do it with integrity. You know, selling crack is definitely something that's negative, right? Right. But you don't have to sell it to pregnant women. Yeah. You don't have to sell it to kids. You know what I mean? That's a conversation I'm always interested in having with, like, when I'm talking to Benny the Butcher. It's like, you know, at a certain point, do you have to deal with the the, the feeling of like, look what I've done to my community? I mean, I think that everybody should deal with that. Mm. But I think that the way that you deal with it is people have made all kinds of mistakes for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of mistakes for all kinds of reasons. The 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 way that you deal with your mistakes is to one, acknowledge them, and then two, to try to undo them. Mm. So you're selling crack, you're doing whatever it is that's wrong, whatever it was that you were doing. How about make try to create a system somewhere where someone doesn't have to fall into the same mistakes that you did? Mm. Now, Hove rapped for years, for years about dealing drugs. Mm. If he puts out an album today, it's going to have a whole bunch more about dealing drugs too. Is he? I mean, it might be a little bit more looking back on it. But well, he put out four four four. That wasn't really about dealing drugs at all. He didn't really. Yeah, okay. not not really. So what I'm, I'm just say- so used to Jay Z just pretty much <laughs> always right. rapping about selling drugs that if he didn't, I didn't notice. Right. So, so he put <laughs> he put out four four four, and really was about his family. Mm-hmm. It was about ownership. It was about the world as he sees it. But the here's the thing about that though, it was about a whole bunch of different things. The reason why it wasn't lip service is because we've watched him actually change. He's not wearing the same shit that he was wearing in two thousand one, two thousand two. He's not eating the same shit. He's not around the same. He's got a wife. He's got a family. We've watched actual change. So personal evolution is what leads to community evolution and message evolution. He's actually different than he used to be. FWM, Adam. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Donation came in. I forgot to turn off the uh, notifications. So like you, you, he's actually different than he used to be. So because he's actually different, his message, his message can come through authentically and it can be sort of digested authentically. Right. So what I would, you know, to anybody that wants to undo things that they might have done in the past, man, change yourself first. You know what I'm saying? Change yourself first. Like, really do the work on yourself first. Mm. And then all of that will happen organically. You'll think about different things. Did you have a nihilistic, wild, young stage before you became sort of the the mature gentleman that we know you as now? Yeah. Mm. But it was like... How did it manifest? uh, Your antisocial behavior. Every guy's got to have some at some point on the way up, right? What you mean? Like, like my antisocial behavior? What you mean? Yeah, I mean, for some people, it's selling drugs. For some people, it might be smashing mailboxes or I don't know. It's like everybody's got to have something like some sort of journey on their way to adulthood, right? Yeah, I think um, I think for me, it was uh, 
it was manipulating people. Like, I, I don't think that, um, I, I, like, I never, I was always too afraid to do, like, illegal shit. I've never been involved in anything like that. Well, that's not true. I've, I've, I've never been involved in anything to where it was for me. I've done things for friends, and I've, I've helped friends out with things like that and stuff like that. But I've really never really gotten involved with that. I think for me, um, the, really, the most destructive stage that I had was getting other people to do my shit for me. Really? Like what? <laughs> like if I wanted I wish I was that smart I wish I was a kid well I mean we're talking I mean we're also talking about someone that spent a lot of time by himself mm. like you did. me really tons of time by myself why was that uh well because when I was when I was uh when I was bigger I, I wasn't confident mm. enough to leave the house I used to take showers with the lights off wow you know what I'm saying so like it was so I would be in there just kind of figuring out how to like like there were so many people that saw so much potential in me and they were so they 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 safeguarded me so much and they loved me so much and they did so many things for me and there was a point in my life where I didn't have a lot of ambition I was just kind of hanging around afraid of the world and I would use those people's love and affection to get them to do things for me that I uh, that I, I didn't want to do for myself to make them feel mm. bad about enjoying themselves and just kind of making other people feel shitty so that I felt a little bit better about everybody else not having such a great time. Right. I did that for years. How'd you identify that in yourself or, or how'd you start to change it? I had to move away. Really? So when I, like when I moved away and there's a difference between um, being by yourself when you can make a call and see your mama and your brothers and all of those people like that. But there's right. a difference than being out here by myself. Mm. So out here, by, out here in LA, you're alone. You're not tethered to anyone. You got to really walk around and figure out how you're going to make this place work for you. Mm. So many people that I know that came out here at the same time as me, they've already gone back to where they're from. Mm. Um, so what I realized was that that was weakening me. I wasn't strengthening my own brain. I wasn't strengthening my own mind. I wasn't strengthening my skill set. Everything about me that people thought was special was eroding mm. because I was leeching off people. I was a grown man using my mom and my dad for bread. You know what I'm saying? And people forget about how scary that feeling is of going to a city for the first time, moving somewhere, and just having to completely figure everything out. Totally. It's a fucking scary-ass thing. I forgot about it. Totally scary. Before I moved here. Like, I moved to New York when I was 20, when I was 20 and then I moved to L.A. when I was 29 or Word. 28. And both times... I had forgotten how fucking weird that feeling is of just not having anything that's familiar to you. That's really what, like, when I first, when I got here, I was like, you know what, man, I got to lose weight. Mm. It's going to take the best version of me that I can be to be successful in this place. There's nobody here that I can make come do something for me. I can't, there's, there's no one here that, that remembers times that I did shit for them. There's no, no one here that gives a fuck about anything. If I'm going to be here in this city, I got to be useful. Mm. I got to be ready, and I got to be able to make an impact and a mark based upon my skill and my talent. And if I'm going to do that, I got to be the best version of me I can be. Mm. Or, or not even the best, a better version. So I think there was a point to where I stopped um, uh, being complacent or I stopped being okay with mediocrity. And since then, things have actually changed and life has been better. Yeah, it's interesting because 
when you were in that point where you really felt like you had to lose weight, that was probably when you found it easiest to, to do so. Do you find it hard to get focused on your diet and everything now because of the fact that you are pretty happy with yourself? Your life is going in a good direction. You feel a lot more comfort and safety. Yeah. It's, it's, then it felt like, okay, we got to do this now. We got to be on top of this now. Blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. Now it's like, yo, man, you know, the scale's kind of low this week. I can go ahead and peel off these apple fritters. <laughs> yo, I love them fucking apple fritters, dog. Wow. Yo, apple fritters are fucking crazy. Just that word just triggered me. Bro, I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I love them apple fritters. So, like, no, now, but the consistency over weeks and weeks at, at a time to always do it, especially mm. when you're on the road. Like, you know, I just left a Nike thing. I drive uh, across here, come do this. Desperately wanted to come sit down with you. Been listening to the podcast for a long time. So, it's like, it's, it's so many different things that you have to do. It, it, the busyness, I'm, I'm writing a book about my weight loss, right? So the, the, the number one thing that stops people is a four-letter word, and that four-letter word is life. Mm. Life gets in the way of the type of body and the type of health that you want. Right. Right, because sometimes your schedule is not everybody else's schedule. Like, if, like I, know, I know ladies, my manager, my manager will be very open about the fact that she wants to have a certain fitness goal and she's doing her best, but she got to take care of like two, three kids. Mm. And when she's taking care of them, how are you not going to have a, a Capri Sun? You know what I'm saying? Like how are you not going to have some of the little Lunchables or whatever like that? It's, it's hard. Like mm. things get in the way. Now, when you have to do it, you'll whatever. But sometimes now taking on so much and looking at your mirror, looking in the mirror and going, man, I don't look that bad. Right. You know what I'm saying? I can't see my titties. You know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Looking in the mirror now, you, you, you might slack a little bit, but that's when you, you know, you just got to kind of pick it up and be even more on your ground. Like my personal trainer is picture me plus 30 pounds of muscle <laughs> minus 40 pounds of fat. Like he is fucking big, the exact same height as me, but he's like chiseled fucking six pack all year round. And I see him every day and he's eating like a fucking Spartan. And it's, yeah. like he's, he's so religiously consistent with it. And, you know, every once in a while I'll have like a burger and fries or whatever, but it's just, it's, it's almost depressing to realize that he's like 40 and he's been doing this for so long and he still is like in that, zone but that's what makes him a guy who just consistently is in perfect shape is the yeah. fact that he has that mind state to just fucking consistently eat like a like a protein bar and like a hard-boiled egg for lunch mm -hmm. also something else that's very important is I, I made a mistake earlier when i said the best version of me the goal is better mm. that's the goal you know i'm like i'm still at a point people talk about oh van you've had some success or whatever like that i'm still at the point to where most rooms i'm in I'm the brokest nigga in the room. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like I'm I make great I make great money from here and from other stuff, like from, from my job and from other stuff. But the guys that I'm around, mm, especially right. now, you, like you know what you could be comparing yeah, yourself so, to. Yeah. But if I spend time thinking about what it is that they have, if I spend time thinking about and sometimes it's even opportunities that people are getting, other things that people are doing. If I spend time thinking about that, it's going to derail me. From the, ver from the vision of me that I need to have to get to where they are. Mm. So I got to concentrate on better. Like, I lost a lot of weight. I'm never going to be beach ready. I can be in the best shape. There are parts of my body that have forever been changed by the amount of weight that I lost, right? Mm. That's the way it is. So even when I'm in great shape, super lean, and I got pictures super lean, there are areas on my body that reflect the amount of weight that I lost. Mm. I'll never get surgery on them, ever. You won't? No. 
Don't ever get surgery on them. Really? That's the real me. Okay. Like, those scars matter. When you see Gucci come out, and he's got, like, the fucking chiseled six-pack, and he used to have, like, a fucking lean gut out to here, I'm like, damn, he got that shit sewn up real nice. Huh? Whatever. Some people do. You know what I'm <laughs> but saying? you couldn't bring yourself to do it? Nah, nah it's not for me. I thought no. about it. You know what I'm saying? I thought like I I thought about you know, with with the amount of time I spend in the weight room, if I if I if I spend two months and lean out and then whatever I go, I mean I don't look bad, but you can see it. Like I remember, I was at one point I was a couple years ago when I was really on it for real. I was about two twenty four, um, uh, like my body fat was down to about. 12%. Like, I was really on it, doing my thing all the time. I go through phases like that, phases where I get a little up, whatever. And I went for a, 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 um, a, a physical. Mm. And they were putting the EKG on me, right? So you put they put the EKG on you and all of that stuff like that. You got to take your shirt off. And I remember I take the shirt off, and my first thing that the nurse says to me is, oh, you lost a lot of weight, didn't you? And I'm like, damn. I thought I looked great. He's like, you lost a lot? I was like, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, she noticed it. I'm like, yeah, that was years ago. She's like, oh, I can tell by, like, around this area. I'm thinking to myself. You could have just not said that. Motherfucker, like, why are you bringing <laughs> old shit up? Like, what, like, what are you doing? Right. Like, but, but, and at that point, I remember thinking, damn, you know. And so I went and looked at, like, I'm, and you, you never feel more wanted than you do in the Beverly Hills plastic surgeon's office. Mm. They want you to be there. Right. They are nice to you. <laughs> like you like you you go in there, oh, come in, listen. You're gonna look like fucking what's the guy from the um the guy Richie movie? Oh, that's Idris Elba. You're gonna look like Idris Elba. <laughs> like we're gonna get you so oh my God. Like look look at him. Tammy, come here. That's so good look. that they just pick like a hot celebrity hot, version no, of yourself they, and that's, that's your do. doppelganger. That's what they do. Like, come here, come here, look at this guy. You have great shoulders. Wow. Listen, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna lift the muscle here, we're gonna snip you, we're gonna take this little skin out. There's gonna be very small little cuts. Your, your complexion's great. You're not even gonna be able to see him. Boom. After that, you're gonna have, you know that little sexy V that guys have? We're gonna make sure you have that. And they and when you when you go there for the consultation after you go there if you don't come back and tell them th they email you mm. then the price starts going down mm. then they start doing all of that they stay on you so i remember i had a lot of time to think about that and then i was like nah man this is me this is part of my story you know what i'm saying like this is like like i was heavy mm. you're gonna see it like it's never gonna be perfection it's just better than what i was before yeah do you feel like your like the quality of your mental health is directly related to where you're at in terms of how you're treating yourself with your exercise and diet? Sometimes I feel like the version of me that is eating like shit and treating my body terribly is the version of myself that's depressed. And when I'm in a great state of mind, I eat healthy. I treat myself like I care about myself. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, with me and some of the, the stuff I've been through with my mental health and all of that stuff... Uh, it was worse when I wasn't doing anything. And the more you learn about your body and the physiology of your body, you learn why. Mm -hmm. You learn why you need the sun. You learn why you need those endorphins that you get from working out. Um, you learn why you need your your heart to like pump blood and stuff like that. But um, I mean, there's, do you know what Bennigan's is? No, it's a, it's a restaurant that they got in the South. Oh, yeah, okay. And I remember I used to leave work at Best Buy and go to Bennigan's. And like, be at work at Best Buy, just not feeling great about myself. 
you know, I used to crawl up the stairs because I didn't want my like my heart rate to jack. Yeah, I heard you talking about that. That, that must have been dark. It was terrible. Some people would laugh. My boys thought that was the funniest shit in the world. But so I would uh, I would go. Uh, I, I remember I left, and I we used to go to Bennigan's, and I would get um, these big ass chicken tenders, and they were good as fuck. And I, the first time I went there, I go to go to get the big chicken tenders, the big huge chicken tenders that they had, and then they'd be like, "You get two sides," and I'd be like, "Okay, I'll have a loaded mashed potato and fries." And I remember the lady goes. You're gonna, you're gonna get a loaded mashed potato and fries. <laughs> she goes, baby, like a loaded mashed potato and fries. And I'm like, yeah. So I would go there and I would get that. And I would, uh, on the way home, I would have a shake and then I would sit at the house and I would eat. And one time I went to the Bennigan's and they weren't open and I cried. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> like, like, like I was 24 years old. Wow. I cried. I like I, I like I like I go to the Bennigan's, it's not open. I remember I, I I drive up and bro, the Bennigan's was literally right around the corner. The Mall of Louisiana. People that are listening to this from Baton Rouge, they know that this yeah. is true. There was a Mall of Louisiana right over there. The Best Buy was right near the mall, and the Bennigan's. You could have probably walked there, but it was just on my way home. And you would pull up and you would do the curbside thing, right? And I remember when I left work and I looked across the the parking lot at the Bennigan's. I was like, yo, man. Yo, man, why the lights off? And I was like, nah, man, it's probably just like people having, I don't know, I'm going to drive up. And I was, as I was driving up, the feeling of dread that the Bennigan's might fucking be closed was creeping up in my fucking body. And I remember I got there and I actually got, this is pathetic. I got out and walked to the front and pulled on the door to make sure that they were closed. You know what I'm saying? And they were closed. And I remember I got back in the car and... I cried. You were just that committed to that ritual? I no, I I needed the food to feel good. Mm. Like I needed the food to feel good. Like it I had my heart set on it the whole day. Right. Like my whole day I had my heart set on it. And I was like, shit. I got home and I remember I went to McDonald's and I ate the, it just wasn't the same. Wasn't the same. You know what I'm saying? So like I was and then but I didn't even think about that until years and years later. Because when like when you're trying to build your discipline, when you're building discipline, every single act of discipline that you successfully uh, achieve begets the next one. Begets the begets the next one. Mm. People are having cake. You go now. That feels good. Feels good. Mm. I don't know if it feels good as eating the cake. Not as quite as good as like getting the workout in. Yeah. But in, if you really realize in your mind that it's just as important that really you saying no to that cake is far more important than any workout you could possibly yep. do today. Last night, I come home, and I had been tired because of something I had to do the day before. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to work out, man. I'm fine. Things are cool. It's great. I, I think I saw it. your tweet about how you actually did it. And then I just went. I just like, I was like, fuck it. I put my shit on, and I went out, and I ran four miles. And <laughs> the last couple steps getting back to my place, I felt like I had fucking knocked out Deontay Wilder. Mm. I felt so fucking good. And at the end of it, you think, yo, man, how was I about to pass up on this? Like, a lot of times, it's like, that was, that. You know, I ran four miles, that was 40 minutes. Like, it's like, put yourself through something for 40 minutes mm. to kind of get to where you want. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. doesn't take any time at all, but it's hard to do. That, uh, the picture you painted there about the sides, when you're picking out the sides, 
that's always a really crucial moment in any fat dude's life because <laughs> re- realistically, the protein is not going to be that bad. Right. Even if you get, you know, it's like the chicken is breaded, the cutlet is breaded, whatever. Like mm-hmm. even if the steak is soaked in fucking oil, whatever, it's not that bad. But then when you choose your sides, it's like you have like right there. Like you could get the green beans. You, you could get the broccoli. You it's could. so easy to make choices that are like 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. And it's really very telling about where you're at in your mind state when you're at Erewhon and you could decide on mac and cheese and fries or you could decide on broccoli and green beans. I had games, bro. I had games I used to play with the people. I would go there and I would be about to to finish my order and then I would get a call. Mm. I would get a call from somebody who wanted something. There was nobody. Just because you're embarrassed to order too much? I was embarrassed to to order too much stuff. There was nobody. It was like, oh shit, what you want? You want a piece of chocolate cake? Damn, it's late for that. You sure you want that? What kind of chocolate cake y'all got? Oh, they got the ooey, what you say, the ooey gooey extra chocolatey shit? You want the ooey gooey? That's a lot. You sure? I'll help you eat it, baby. I love you. Bye. And you know what I'm saying? And then like, but you you would have to do stuff like that because there was a, there's a lot of shame in that. Uh-huh. Um, so I had all kinds of shit, man. But, you know, that was a habit. And then healthiness can become a habit. Like, mm. I don't think people think that you know, positive living, positive thinking, uh, looking at health a certain way, like looking at the gym a certain way, looking at all. I don't think that people allow those things to become habits because they don't feel as good to start. Mm. Um, but when they become habits, they become habits. And it's hard to, you know, occasionally I'll realize that me telling somebody a little bit about working out will actually have a big impact on them, mm. which is easy for me to forget because I always just think it's so easy to figure out how to lose weight or whatever that like nobody needs any kind of encouragement in that regard. And once in a while, like, I forget who it was recently, but I had a conversation with him where I basically was just like hitting him with the basic facts of like if you want to lose weight. I'm like, the beer is not going to work and the fucking sandwiches and the potatoes and all this shit is mm-hmm. like, this is your main enemy. Like, you know, because a lot of times people are like, well, I'm eating whole wheat bread and I'm not losing any weight. It's like, okay, the bread is the issue. The, right. the whole wheat factor doesn't really change much. And it's easy to forget that you can actually have an impact on it. Because when I was like 21 and I knew I, I needed to lose weight, I had broken my leg and I had all this stuff where I couldn't exercise for like a year and a half. And I needed to learn how to work out so bad. I had nowhere to go. I picked up bodybuilding magazines. Just mm. like, there's a weird way to get into it because yeah. they're telling you a lot of stuff that's kind of counterintuitive. Like they're yeah. telling you why you should eat 12 eggs for breakfast. Right. And if you want to lose weight, it's not really the best thing you could do. I mean, list like... The one thing I you get as much opinion as you can. One of the funniest things that ever happened at Best Buy was there were two jacked guys that worked there in the warehouse because they put all the jacked guys in the warehouse. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I was like, "Yo, I'm really about to do it. I'm about to lose some weight. Like, what should I do?" Mm. And they gave me two diametrically opposed things to do. Like, one dude was like, "You should wake up in the morning." And you should probably eat some chicken breast in the morning and blah, 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 blah. And the guy said, don't do that. Wake up in the morning and get a complex carb in the morning. Get energy for the rest of the day so you'll feel satiated. You'll eat a smaller lunch. And he's like, no, don't eat carbs. No carbs ever. You don't want any carbs. <laughs> this is crazy. This it's so is, hard to figure out what the real info yeah, is. Yeah, like, sure. like this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Both you're of already, those sound pretty logical in the right. moment. Yeah. Yeah, like, and then, and <laughs> in their own way, both of them do make sense. They Both of them do make sense. Yeah. And my mother said, son, what you should, and you always go to your mama. And my mother said, son, what you should do is probably eat a small portion of, or, uh, of oatmeal and then eat some egg whites. There you go. You have your complex carb. And you have your protein. Your mom hit it on the head. Hit it on the head. Pretty good. I don't even eat carbs in the morning. I drink coffee and eat eggs and bacon sometimes. That's that. That's dope. 
I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, yeah, you, 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 you get your, your, your jolt of energy mm. and you got your protein, you straight. There you go. Um, at what point did you realize that you wanted to go off and do your own podcast? I found that kind of interesting because for me, it's like me and a lot of other people I know, we like start our own platform and then people start looking at you like, well, yeah, but can you go do a show? Like that, mm-hmm. that would be your way of like proving that you're for real. For you, I'm imagining that that was kind of the conversation you're having in your head. You're like, well, I'm doing really good in this environment. I feel like I'm a smart dude, but I want to go out there and create my own platform because otherwise I feel like I haven't really established myself. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I would say the, the second part is is definitely accurate, but someone actually brought it up to me. Shout out to Chris Morrow. Oh, shout out to Chris Morrow. Yeah, shout out yeah. to Chris Morrow. So I did the Brilliant Idiots. Mm. And when I was on the Brilliant Idiots... <clears throat> me, Chris Morrow's always trying to get somebody to start a podcast. <laughs> that's his whole deal. <laughs> Very true, yeah. That's his whole deal. Like, um, I was, He's an evangelist. Yeah, it's his whole thing. So Chris, I, I'm on the Brilliant Idiots and uh, you know, it was me and, and and my man Andrew sparring as we always do, loving to death. That's <laughs> my guy. And so we um, were on there, and he goes, "Yo, what, have you ever thought about that?" And then th- I'm not gonna lie, there was a part of me that I thought, "Yo, could I do that though?" Because mm. it's just you. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it, like it's just you talking to somebody. Now you can't pivot. You know, when I'm on TV, it's five second bursts, and I can be funny or compelling in those things. But can I do that for like a whole a whole time? Mm. And then um, we we ended up. Kind of, kind of making it work and coming to a deal, and I, I felt like there was a lot that I had to say, and a mm-hmm. lot of things that I had to say. I needed to unpack them, and more than that, I like the challenge because there's so many people that have come on my podcast, right? And they're all the the guests have been so diverse, um, but everybody has something in common is that they bring a lot of shit with them, right? But they bring it in different ways. They mm-hmm. bring shit with them, like. I had Tory Lanez on the podcast, right? Tory Lanez comes in, um, nice guy, great dude, but when he comes in, he's got his jewelry, he's got his entourage, he's a big rap star, right? Mm. So he's brought a lot of shit with him. So my, what I like about an interview is getting through all of that stuff to just the guy, to where now me and him just talking, mm. we just vibing, we just like connecting. It's a good feeling. Yeah, it's great, man. It don't, if it's him, if it's Money Bag. If it's James Prince, who's a little harder to do with Mr. Prince, but if it's it, <laughs> Mr. Prince, been you know, this is a tough exterior. Yeah, he's that's, you know, been doing this thing for a long time. But whoever it is, if it's a uh, uh, great, intelligent, uh, uh, immensely fierce woman, Amanda Seals, or if it's Jamila Lemieux, or if it's Ava Duvernay, whoever it is, getting through to the core where you can just talk to somebody and maybe somebody learn something. Mm. That's something that I really enjoyed, and you just can't do that. In every form, you got to have time. Sometimes you got to have time. You build a little trust. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you build a little bit of of equity. You start having a real convo. So I like that. And I, I didn't know if I was, was going to be good at it at first, but it's been good so far. What do you think is your, well, I guess you just described your style. Um, but when, say, it comes time for you to interview somebody like Jermaine Dupree, do you feel like your TMZ experience has prepared you to be like properly antagonistic to him and do you feel like you were really kind of like you were pushing him to like elaborate on views that he was sort of claiming weren't his own views like he was really trying to make the point that he didn't think the thing that the sound bites had basically said that he said so yeah with something like that i think with something like that when somebody's coming on in the wake of something right you want to make sure you get it addressed Mm -hmm. because either they're coming to 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 bring clarity to um to, to what it is that they said, or they're coming to clear clean it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in the case of Jermaine, 
he had said something and everybody was like, this is going to be an interview. He was going to come down. He's going to sit down. He's going to talk. I think that uh, the only thing with him is that he said things in the interview to me that were kind of contradictory, like in a, in a very small space. I think that Jermaine knows what he thinks and what he feels. Mm. Um, I think he, he was slightly taken out of context and he was slightly misunderstood with what he said. But at the same time, I do think he, think he has some feelings uh, about um, what he thinks the state of the female rap game is. And I think that those feelings aren't really in line with the overall health of music, if I'm making sense. What I mean is he said in the interview that, like, uh, you know, there are certain things that female rappers rap about that when he's in the car with his daughter, he got to turn them off. Cool. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You're a parent. You got kids. Turn it off. And I, my my question was, do you turn it when do you turn it off when they talking that trap shit? Mm. I mean, Atlanta. I love all of those guys, Jeezy, Chains, whoever from there. All of that shit. Love all of it, right? Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about messages and music, we can't be selective about it, right? We can't say that talking about busting your pussy wide open is any different than talking about busting somebody's fucking head wide open. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. Actually, I would say, but you can bust your pussy open as much as you want. Don't hurt nobody. Right. You bust somebody's head open, you took somebody from their family, don't matter how bad they were. And most people wouldn't even think about think about the violent content, but somehow like the profanity and the sexual content is judging as It's totally judged in a completely mm. different way. And really, to be honest with you, it's judged unfairly, if you ask me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, like I've had porn stars on my um on, on my podcast, and people go, Oh Van, why are you interviewing this person? They never ask that question about any criminals or mm. any whatever that I've had on my podcast. They never ask the question. So I think if you're going to be a prude, be a consistent prude. Mm. And I don't. I think in that moment, Jermaine Dupri is a good man, and he's really doing his best to try to show people that he cares about enhancing the culture, which he's always done. But I think in that, in that moment, sometimes you get to a point in an interview where someone hasn't even considered something. Mm. And I like that, too. I like being in an interview where I haven't considered something. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I had, I did an interview with Glass Malone yesterday, and I'm asking Glasses Malone about um, you know, gang banging and whether or not gang banging is still necessary and stuff like that. And I'm all ready to win that argument. I'm ready to win that exchange. Mm. I'm talking to somebody who's been banging since he was 15 and he has a very clear worldview on it. And after a while, you leave thinking. I see why he feels the way he feels. Right. Like I, like I, I do I agree? Nah, but I get it. He made sense. He made sense why it exists. He made sense why it's not such a bad thing to him. He made sense why it 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 made sense. Right. Don't agree, but before I thought, yo, this was gonna be something that was gonna be easy work. Of course, gang violence is bad. Of course, gang banging is bad. Right. But listen to somebody that's been in it for a long time talk to you about it. Uh -huh. And if you're not, if you're being authentic and you're not trying to come off holier than now, you just might have somebody that makes you understand their experience. And right. those conversations are valuable. Do you think that it's sort of a weird world we live in where in the wake of the Me Too era and everything that a lot of men 
might have a version of themselves that they put on on camera and then a version of themselves that they have off cameras in terms of their opinions about women. Do you encounter that a lot? Do you feel like that is a lot of times like the kind of the, the nexus of these conversations is that a guy will basically be caught on camera saying something that they were just feeling a little too casual with and then they go on this sort of apology tour where they're correcting themselves to this fake op uh, opinion that they didn't really have in the first place? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think it's true for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I think that men are very uncomfortable talking about their actual feelings about women, no matter what they are. I think... Uh, Men that like to be around women that are more uh, sexually, um, <laughs> how do I put it? Women that men that like to be around women that are more sexually adventurous, they're afraid to talk about that. They're afraid to like be around their boys and be like, yo, this this girl's been with this many guys. They're afraid to go, yeah, but I love her and I love being around her and she's mm. smart and she's funny and she's all of that. They're afraid to say that. And at the at the other time, um, there are men who are legitimately afraid of the sexual liberation of a woman um, and the sexual authority that a woman can have. And then the rules are very complicated now. Mm. So you can, like, everybody is lying because they don't really know what they're supposed to say. They don't know if they're supposed to say, okay, what you want from women is sexual responsibility and for them to care about their bodies enough not to go around sleeping with everybody else. Mm. Or they don't know if there's, because you say that and then somebody comes at you and they go, um, uh, oh my God, how could you possibly say that? A woman should be able to do whatever she wants, okay? And then you go out and you say a woman should be, do, be able to do whatever she wants. And then somebody comes at you and you go, what, you just want everybody to be out here fucking everybody? Mm. The reality is that, number one, a woman can do whatever she wants, should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. And it's a laughable situation that we even have conversations about what somebody can do with their own private parts. That's mm -hmm. dumb, whatever. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that men's views about women oftentimes are formed without women being a part of those conversations. Very true. Like you don't get a chance to talk to women about how they feel and what they're going through and what their experience has been. The one thing that the Me Too movement did for me is I didn't realize, I'm gonna be real with you, I didn't realize all this assault was going on. Not mm -hmm. like this. I remember being in the office and talking to people and stuff like that. Or I'm, fuck that. I remember talking to my homeboys and then being like, yo, you never just, you know, see a girl in the club and you just grab her ass or whatever. I'd be like, nah, not really. Like for real, you like you never did that. Like you never just, you know, like you had body classic, you knew niggas used to grab asses and stuff like that. And I never knew that. Mm. Those guys don't think that they're terrible people. Right. They think that that was a part of like having a little fun. We all been to spring break and shit. Yeah. Like so they 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 don't think that they're bad people. And it cracks open like a weird conversation right there because okay, growing up riding BMX all these years is that there's, you know, a sliding scale of to what extent dudes are willing to just start a conversation with a girl on the street and how direct it might be. And I've seen everything from dudes who are the most foul, fucking disgusting pigs on earth who would say the worst shit on earth to a girl on the, on the street all the way to, you know, dudes who, you know, maybe would say something or like try to say it in more of a, a, a polite way. And I've always just observed that dynamic and always been like pretty uncomfortable. I remember moving to New York in uh, like 2004 and just being kind of horrified by like what was average for a dude to say on a girl on the street there, which I, I Actually, a ton of girls who I know who moved to New York at some point in their life have told me that it's like the worst street harassment they ever dealt with. Mm. And that's oh, I feel like that conversation did get cracked open there, where there's like a lot of guys who probably considered that that never had thought about it previously. Yeah, I mean, listen, the way to do this is to do something that men 
seem to be incapable of doing when it comes to women. And it's the easiest thing in the world. Let them set their rules. Mm. It's their bodies. It's their minds. It's their lives. Let them set their rules. Stop thinking about what makes sense to you. Mm. That's hard to do. I'm saying when you have that much privilege, anyone with privilege is hard to let somebody else set their rules and define who they are. She says she don't want to be talked to her like that. Don't talk to her like that. She says she doesn't like this energy. Don't give her that energy. You thought it was cool. You were wrong. It's all good. Move on. It's like, I mean, I really don't understand. Like, relax. Like, like I posted a video on Instagram, right? And that video I thought was funny. Is This girl, uh, I guess they were at a Trinidadian party or something like that. Oh, yeah. And she, and she was winding her shit up real nice. And some dude tried to come behind her. And she turned around and she was like, she didn't curse him out or smack his face or do anything. She turned around and smiled at him and was like, no, right. that's okay. I don't want anybody grinding on my ass today. So it's, it's like so many times that's like cultural thing, right? It happens all the time, right? People, that's how people dance, not only in that part of the world, but where I'm from or whatever. But this particular time, this lady went, I don't want somebody grinding on my ass. Mm -hmm. no, 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 none for you. I thought that was funny because that's a great curve. Right. Everybody needs a great curve in their life. You're not, a, you're, you're not doing your thing out here with ladies if you haven't been curved viciously a couple figure times. Figure out the limits. You yeah. figure out the limits, right? I was surprised at how many guys in the comments were like, yo, well, if she didn't want a nigga grinding on her ass, why is she shaking her ass? Mm. It's her ass. <laughs> yeah. It like that's elementary thinking. Right. It's her ass. I'm in awe of guys like that because I was always the dude who was too insecure to go dance that on a girl's my, I, dancing. I, I bro, I would like I'd have to write you that little, you know, can I dance on you? Please check this box. Right? Yeah. Yes or no. Like, I I had no nuts when it came. I'm not even yeah. going to lie. Like, it, the people from Baton Rouge are going to be like, oh, man, I up here trying to act like he was not. Nah, I wasn't the one. Right. So, but but what I'm saying is, it's like, it's just wild, man. I'm not about to go off on a soapbox and make it seem like I don't understand how sexual dynamics can get confused and or whatever. But I'm just saying, it, it always surprises me. Like how stuff like that goes is her ass, is her body, right. is her mind. You don't have no rights to any of it. If she decides that she wants um, to let you share in it for however long it is, then that's you. My dad had a saying, and this is gonna sound a little crass, but this might have like like shaped my worldview. I'm sure people in the south have heard this around. He would be like, "Yo." You guys around here trying to claim these little girls and stuff like that, he'd be like, remember, it's not your pussy, it's your turn. <laughs> and your turn will last as long as she deems it fit that you are putting in the requisite amount of work and that you're doing something. He's like, I've been with your mama X amount of years. If I ever get complacent, it's going to be somebody else's turn. So earn your turn. It's not you. Nobody belongs to you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like people stay with you as long as like you're making them happy and fulfilling them. I just think that men feel, I mean, obviously we do. I mean, this is all stuff that it's, this, none of this is groundbreaking, but we just feel a little too entitled. Just, it's not even about, don't feel bad about yourself. It's nothing. It's not a big deal. Just relax, mm. relax. You don't have to go and cry and, you know, like get all upset about it and hate women. Just relax. And it's like, I think one of the most important skills for a guy to mm. learn throughout his life is how to gauge 
how a woman feels about him without having to make any like sort of overt gesture yeah. to be able to sort of spot whether she's feeling you in any way and then to be able to operate on that without having to necessarily like when you hear about a lot of these stories of dudes and like just like office culture like bosses and making crazy passes at women and stuff that make them feel super uncomfortable it's like to me and it's 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 unfortunate because it's the kind of thing you can't teach at all but through a lot of life experience you slowly start to be able to develop this really good gauge of who's interested in you and who isn't mm -hmm. and it's very very valuable it's like really hard to sort of implement that into a young man also some of that has to do with you taking stock of yourself mm. i mean knowing what's realistic yeah, yeah. sometimes it take you take stock in yourself like it, it's like you know a lot of these guys like really like harvey weinstein <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you knew, like, all these like, beautiful actresses. Yeah, bro, come on, dog. Like, 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 like. Some, oh, he knew exactly. Yeah, what he was yeah, doing. yeah. And, and, and even some of these other guys, these these guys know. These guys know that they're powerful and yeah. that they have this influence. If fucking Brad Pitt was running a joint, or somebody even swagged out, somebody even swagger was running a joint, it might be a little bit different. Mm. But it, you have to take stock in yourself and know this woman probably doesn't want you. And if you want to try to make an impression, then there are ways to do that that are appropriate, and there are ways to do that that are inappropriate. Sometimes you shouldn't do it. But I think that there's a conversation to be had, and it's a conversation to be had with women about how they want to be approached, mm -hmm. what is appropriate, what's not appropriate. You know, where I'm from, yo, hey, Redbone, come here. That was appropriate mm -hmm. for a long time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yo, 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 backpack, backpack, rear shorts, rear shorts, come here. Like, you know what I'm saying? That like that like that that was appropriate. Yeah. I am learning now saying, hey, red bone, backpack, red shorts, red shorts is actually not appropriate. Mm. But they gotta set those rules and we gotta follow them. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh what role does hip hop play in your life at this point? Has it always been like that? Have you always been like a rabid rap fan? Has it kind of gone in and out? Sometimes I feel like dudes have a hard time aging well in their rap fandom that they either like sort of lose the interest in it because it is such a young man's game or that they just sort of slowly get out of it or start, start listening to Aretha Franklin. <laughs> um, nah, man, hip hop means a lot to me. I think that hip hop was like one of the first things that was mine that I felt like it was mine. Right. Mm. So like all the music that I, that I was on growing up, I loved it. But it was really my parents' music. It was what they were connected to. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I love Stevie. I love Marvin. Um, I love Aretha. I love the the Eurythmics. I love Andrew My mom Rhythms. had me listen to all that shit, too. But then, yeah, like, there was absolutely no chance of my mom being into Snoop Dogg. It right. felt very <laughs> different. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You know, Prince and all of that. And then when hip-hop came along, this was for me. I mean, I remember I was, like, five or six, and, and like, kids on the bus were talking about LL. Mm. And like, um, like I was literally in elementary school, and then I started listening to it, and so I grew, I grew with hip hop. You know what I'm saying I was born in 1980, so I grew with hip hop. I grew up with it, and everything that it threw at me, I tried it. I tried. I've been through every phase of hip hop, every phase. I've tried it all. I've listened to it all. Right, listened to the Native Tongues when they were popping. I was on my X Clan shit. I was on my my Rakim shit. I was on my just all of it, my KRS-One, my Big Daddy Kane, and then when it turned a little bit, when Pac started jumping, when NWA started coming, I would lie and tell people I had heard NWA even though I hadn't heard it because I couldn't get the music, right? Then my brother came home and I was able to get it and I was able to listen to that. And so I think that the, 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 
the 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 chore in hip hop right now is to really listen to good music that you don't relate to at all. Mm. That's the chore. Is that's why I like. I'm not don't get paid from them, but that's why I like Title because like Title just curates the playlist mm. and you listen to it, and all of a sudden you listen to the little No Eyes, and <laughs> and you like yo this is dope. Like you have you heard that little like and you like you, you listening to it and it's it's good. But when you say it doesn't speak to you, you mean because it's of a completely different generation or it's coming from somebody who doesn't have anything close to you in the same life experience? I mean, sometimes you actually can't understand it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I, when I say I can't understand it, sometimes I can't understand With what who? Like they, a, it's one of the young thug types out there? You don't even have to understand thug. His voice is kind of like an instrument. But, mm. like, um, let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, like, I love Gunna. Mm. My favorite Gunna song is Speed It Up. I don't know if Gunna is saying anything in Speed It Up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like, I, I don't, like, I don't know if Speed It Up has lyrics. Right. Like, I know Speed It Up did it, but I've listened to that song all the time. Right. And the only way that I kind of get to these to these artists is about knowing that there's good music out there that's resonating with people for some reason, and I gotta check it out. Other than that, like, music that still twists my soul up. Is that hip hop shit that I've been like when I listen to Griselda, when I listen to Benny and them, when I listen to those guys, when I listen to the Dreamville Cats, when I listen to IDK, mm. when I listen to Adam Dallas, when I listen to all of those guys, like those are the guys to me that I really get deep in it. Freddie Gibbs, mm. like I'm like, I'm straight up like this is the shit. These are the people that's like really talking to me. Um, but uh there's so much great music. These kids are so creative, bro. Mm. They're, they're so creative, but I, it's 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 you got it's almost like doing work sometimes now mm. to kind of you sit down and you 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 take a Friday and Saturday and you try to keep it like the shit that y'all was on when I came in here. I don't know what the fuck that shit is. TJX six scammer music. Okay, what's scammer music? He's just like rapping like ridiculously in depth tutorials about like credit card fraud. It's like some of the weirdest okay. shit I ever heard. Like Guap be talking about scamming. Is Guap scam music? Shout out to Guap. Guap has. Claims to have done quite a bit of scamming. I feel like the difference with the TJX6 kid is that he's just straight up. It's like it's the whole character as well. Because if you look at his Instagram, he seems like he's still committing credit card fraud. I told him, I'm like, I don't want to do an interview with you because I feel like you're going to get caught up because of the interview. Right. And he's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. He's like, I'm good. Right. But I don't know what the fuck his scam is that apparently he can't get caught. But and it's something about him rapping so offbeat too that somehow like just seems like it aligns well with all this ridiculously. Uh, technical credit card shit, but like a lot, like you know, a lot of these guys, man, you just, you just, people just keep talking about them. Mm. Act put me on a lot of these guys. Mm. Like, you know, if you go on act shit, like act is all of these guys are on act. Like I didn't know for a long time, I would not listen to anything that Six Nine put out just because it looks so weird. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It looks so yeah. weird. Even God rest the dead. Even with um, with uh, with X, it just it looks so. Like I couldn't understand. And then mm. you know he was really, really gifted. Yeah. You know, so so um. But like when you listen to some of these guys, it's good music. Yeah, definitely. So, but you you find yourself gravitating towards more traditional type stuff. Is there anything from your youth that you still find yourself going back to? I feel like a lot of people have sort of just their core couple of albums that they just return to. Three albums, my core albums. Uh, Hot Boys, Get mm. It How You Live. Underrated. Nobody That's talks a good about idea. it. We gotta put that on. Like, like nobody talks about it. Ridiculous. Right. Like, y'all think Wayne is a god. Y'all think y'all heard Peak Wayne. Mm. 
Y'all have heard the most famous Wayne. Right. Peak Wayne, when Wayne was a little murderer, a little killer on this. You know, right. Wayne could rap. Wayne could always rap. People going people gonna to freak out when, that, when I say this. They're going to be like, yo, man, Wayne, no ceilings and all of this stuff like this. Wayne with those guys... Rapping a, like a kid rapping a bunch of, uh, amongst a bunch of grown men, you can hit a talent spilling through your speakers. It's ridiculous. When you ask people their favorite Wayne album and they say like Dedication 3, you're just kind of like, oh, all right. Like you, you caught him on a completely different wavelength right. than the one that I was initially experiencing in like 98. Yeah. I'd never heard anybody's voice sound anything like anything that. Anything like that. He yeah. was doing the, like Wayne, Wayne was doing the little, uh, the, the little sound effects and shit like that. I got diamonds on my neck. Bing. He was just doing the whole, he was just creative. He was creative. You know right. what I'm saying? So uh, that one, uh, Rock Him, the 18th letter. I know that's later Rock Him. A lot of people not going to fuck with that, but that's like, for some reason, just where I was, that that really grabbed me. And uh, P, Ghetto D. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, um, when I, when I, when I put on, honorable mention to, to um, to uh, to to four hundred degrees. Honorable mention to Richie Rich, season vet. Honorable mention to uh, so many of those different things, and those honorable mention to everything Pac did, all of that. Uh, but Ghetto D to me, when I listen to to to, to Masterpiece Ghetto D, it just takes me right back, bro. Right. I'm thinking about a time in my life where I thought everything was possible. Mm. Why I didn't know if I was gonna be well, one day I was gonna be the president of the United States, the next day I was gonna be. Uh, off guard the NBA. It was just like it was, and the, the the melodies and the music and the beats. You could just the authenticity is just there. I listen to that old shit all the time. It's hard to find it sometimes, but I listen right. to it. Yeah, it's crazy because I feel like that stuff didn't age as well for me as I got older. Like I I, I was listening to a lot of No Limit, Cash Money at the time, but then over the years, No Limit has sort of just. So, there was such an abundance of product at that time too. There was so much that yeah. I felt like a lot of it sort of got lost for me. But remember, that's my that's around the corner for me. That's right. like yeah, those are real rhythms of Baton Rouge and New Orleans, and you know that's real shit. Like that's where I'm from. So you're a Boosie fan? Hell yeah! I went to yeah. high school with Boosie. Really? Yeah. Holy shit! Was he hey, the Boosie. man then too? Huh? Was he the man then? Boosie has never not been famous. Really. Never. Wow. Went to high school with Boosie. Shout out McKinley High, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Not only Boosie went there, but Kevin Gates went there too. I'm just uh, having a hard later. time even imagining a Boosie that wasn't like the dude, like a lame ass Boosie. He it's came on campus. Um, it, it, me and his brother had gone to school with. Like he came on campus as this little dude that everybody already loved. Right. By the way, I'll tell y'all something that y'all might not know about Boosie. Boosie could really hoop. Really? Like, Boosie could really play ball. He is the smallest dude I've ever seen be effective on a basketball court. Mm. Like, not, like, varsity. Wow. Like, Boosie could play. Boosie would get in there, do his thing. Like, little small dude, like, look like he was heaving the ball at the basket. Right. But could shoot it, could do everything. But, um, yeah, and then I remember I left and went away to college. And because I don't think, I think something happened at McKinley. I don't think Boosie was around that much. But, like, I think something happened either his 10th or 11th grade year. He could probably tell a story. I'm not going to speak for him. But, um, and then I came back and they were like, yo, Boosie rapping. Mm. And he was with CeeLo in the concentration camp at that time. Wow. And then after he was with CeeLo, he got with, uh, with Turk and Mel. And then, boom, he was out of here. So, but he always had that. He's, he's a star. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You fuck with his music? Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's dope. Like, he's a star. Yeah. And wild, like, dudes from back home. That's... You see, you listen to Boosie and Webby, hmm. 
and you know other dudes from Baton Rouge, Box, and all of those guys like that. Like you listen to those guys, that's Baton Rouge. Mm. That's real Baton Rouge. Young boy and them, I love. I, I'm not as like they they way younger than me. Right. So you know I don't know how the city has changed. You want to hear my one Boosie story? Is that while I was interviewing him and Little Blurry, his 12 year old white kid that he signed, mm -hmm. um, and it's unfortunate because he had gone and done like like. Boosie had done like a three-hour Vlad interview that would presumably be chopped up into like eighteen different pieces, and then he and then he just got high as hell. Like, because when I watched the Vlad interview later, which I mean, you know that that's just what it's been to always. Is there is there an issue? No, no, no. Okay, one with Vlad. Yeah, Vlad, yeah. Vlad. <laughs> but yeah. he, it's just like he interviews Boosie like every four months, and he just gets like eighteen pieces out of right. it. And it's like, and it just it just keeps Shout working. It's just a yeah. factory. Um, but so. We got a different version of Boosie because Boosie just like gets in the van and just smokes a shitload of blunts before he does the interview. He's high as hell. And like at, at one point during the interview, he starts talking about getting a girl pregnant from pre-cum. And then he just <laughs> looks over at Lil Blurry and he's like, oh, man, he's like, I can't be talking about this. <laughs> you know, just like realizing that it's like a different responsibility or something that his parents were probably going to be watching that and feeling some type of way. But then, OK, Boosie's car, his rental car gets stolen in the middle of the interview. Wait, what? Yeah. Some somebody must have been following him from the video shoot that they did after the Vlad interview or some shit like that. And basically mm -hmm. their rental car gets stolen and he happened to have his bag with him that had all his jewelry and his money with it. Yeah. But it seemed as if they like were gunning for that. Right. But so then me and my guys, we get to be the dudes that Boosie just met that are like the only oh, like to him shit. maybe we set him up yeah, i don't think yeah, he actually yeah, thought yeah. that we did but he at least wanted to you know sort of feel us out right and he was like hanging out here for like another two hours i had to do another interview afterwards and it's just sort of awkward because boozy's kind of like just looking around just trying to figure out if we fucking jugged him or something yeah i mean the reality is you know like he, he talked to in that interview he talked about feeling like he a target in baton rouge he mm. gotta feel like he a target in la yeah. when they come out here definitely yeah anyway, it was a little awkward <laughs> but it didn't didn't hurt my fandom at all. Yeah, I mean, look, he's like like a real dude, man. Like yeah. real real dude. They tried to job him down there in Baton Rouge, but like he is the guy that kind of um that really put. We had guys before. I don't want to be disrespectful, but obviously Boosie's the guy that put Baton Rouge on the map map as far as rap is concerned. And then Webby was right there with him the whole trail. Boosie's the one that kind of finally broke through and gave us a super superstar. Mm. So. Definitely. What um, actually has you motivated these days in terms of what you want to accomplish, what you're trying to do with your life at this point? Um, that's a great question, man. Um, I, I think what has me motivated is just the the uncertainty of it all. It's, mm -hmm. been, it's been a long time since I didn't know what I was capable of. You know, Like you get into a situation where you work in a day job and you go in there every day and you know what's expected. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden something happens for you and people start listening. Then you start thinking, yo, what do I really have to say? And your podcast is growing quickly. So all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like anything, yeah. anything could happen with this. Right. So you, you're thinking about that. You think, And then you're thinking about seriously the reality of, of, of maybe having a life that really changes something. Mm. And not in a, when I say changes something, I don't mean in a say the wells, you know, like type of corny way. I mean like, you know. What what really means something to you? Like who are you? Like what like what are you? What do you what do you really give a fuck about? Mm. Like you've been a wind up toy for so long, right? 
and you've been talking about different things, now that people are listening, what do you give a fuck about? How do you want to not just inform people, but entertain them? Mm. How do you want people to feel? How do you want people around you to feel? Like, what is it that you want to do? I just think figuring that out and knowing that there's some power behind that, it's a dope ass time. Mm. I'm saying I got to go uh, uh, up um, to a Nike event and talk to (laughs) 30 of the best players. These guys are going to the NBA, 30 of the best players in the country earlier today. And while everybody else is talking to these kids about basketball, I just wanted to make sure that they were investing into their own humanity. Mm. They were becoming something different that they were reading, that they were learning, that they were learning how to love, that they were learning how to be present, that they were learning how to do this. And to be able to actually tell those kids that, you know, there's people out here that care about you, that need you, and that need you to be happy people. Mm. Well, commodifying yourself and your brand and all of that shit like that. We want y'all to be happy people. We want y'all to be well-evolved people. It just makes you feel like you out here doing something. Yeah, And the reality is that, (laughs) in a weird way, I got to thank Kanye for that opportunity. Right. You know, I, I really do because, first of all, there's no animus between me and him at all. What I will say is that was the first time that I realized that. And the reason why I realized that is everybody that watches that clip, pay attention to something in that clip. He says what he says. He turns around. He asks that question. When I start talking to him, he's listening. Mm. So I'm talking to, to be honest with you, my musical idol, the mm. God, the one artist I would say his music has, has meant the most to me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's listening. He's listening to me. Mm. So my voice matters. Even though I've been on TV all of these years, my voice matters. He's listening to me. Me and him are the same. He's no different. Flesh, bone, blood. Mm. He's, I'm talking to him. He's listening. That's it. To me, that's a mandate. Not because Kanye West is so important, but it's... It, it, it's it's a mandate because there are things that I say that people, no matter what, um, want to hear and some things that they need to hear. I just got to make sure that I keep pushing myself in the right direction to give them the right information. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of like a mandate. Yeah. That's a great word for it. Like there's just certain experiences that you go for, go through. Like, you know, I just randomly got a young thug interview backstage at wireless festival in London. Appreciate that. And I got it just by asking him on the spot, mm. like slightly by utilizing my uh, Juice World friendship to just like even get around him. But then I just asked him for it and he just went for it. And that was just like a huge moment for me of being like, okay, like don't ever forget the value of just asking for something, Word. of just trying, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Of just, there's <laughs> people that do that all the time with me. It's like, yo, Van, will you, will you put my resume through the TMZ? Well, yeah, since you asked. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like Van, will you do this one? Yeah, since you asked. Mm-hmm. I mean, now my DMs go go crazy, but, but um, but but yeah, now nah, you know a guy like that. Plus, Doug know who you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying sometimes you got sometimes. That's the one thing I would say to everybody: know who the fuck you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying it, people are important and they have reverence for different reasons, but they here for their reasons and you here for yours. But that Kanye clip, that in that moment, it was like, oh shit, this dude carries himself like he can just have a fucking conversation with Kanye West and not just a conversation, but call his ass out. That was I like, mean, yeah. in that moment, you just like explained your whole personal brand, like whatever it seems like you're going for is like, like just putting yourself in the arena being like, look, I can, I can do this. 
And yeah. it was, it's crazy how you just sort of solidified it right there. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the real with that is that, you know, that is a part of who I am. It's like, it, like the only thing that I wasn't, that I was surprised at was that he was so, he was taking the time to let, let it digest. Because mm. in the newsroom, in that newsroom, Harvey runs TMZ. Me and Harvey go back and forth all the time. It's mm. his shop. And me and him go back. So, like, in that place, that's a away game for everybody else. I'm at work. I come here every day. Mm. So, like, I felt completely comfortable. And really, to be honest with you, I'm going to be real with you. Where I'm from, Baton Rouge, like, the guys that y'all see from Baton Rouge, we are like that for a certain reason. Mm. They don't really grow, like, timid men. You're born timid conversational. People. We, that's how we do it. Like, we, like, like that's, that, that's a Baton Rouge thing. The art of conversation. The is art a of conversation thing, yeah. is a real thing. We're Southern. We're aggressive. We believe in ourselves. Any guy that you meet from my city that's really doing something, that's how they're going to come off. And it's good natured, too, and which is kind of the main thing. Right. Like they, you does, know, no, you're not expecting Kanye to hate you for hitting him with your opinion no. because the guys that you grew up with didn't act like right. that. Right. And the reality is that even if you disagree, I'm going to pay you the proper respect. Always. Yeah. Always going to pay you the proper respect. I'm going to say, listen, everything that you've gotten, you deserve. You're a genius. You deserve all of this. This is what we're going through, though. Yeah. Like, I believe that if the proper respect... I just don't know how people be so wild, disrespectful nowadays. That's the one thing that I don't get. How you see the baby shopping. And mm. just, I, don't get, like, I don't get how people are so wild, disrespectful. And don't expect things bad things to happen to them like mm. nobody's gonna tap your jaw like you're not gonna get that karma to come back to you just for all of this stuff that's that's really weird to me mm. because whatever i do whatever disagreement i have with you whatever sort of issue i have with you is going to be done respectfully mm. until we can no longer respect each other and it's gonna right. take me a while to get to that point because all i really want to do is sincerely get my point across to you i'm not trying to sun you i'm not trying to dominate you i just want to make you make you make you understand where i'm coming from definitely there it is. Hey, we did our two hours. That's pretty good. That's dope. Two hours. I ain't done two hours in a while. Two hours is like a like a long one. Definitely, yeah. We usually gravitate towards like an hour. Okay, word. Yeah. There you go. We was had we was doing good, man. Listen, bro, I've been watching shit for a long time. I appreciate you having me up here, bro. I appreciate it. I can't believe I did it all in a Foo's Gone Wild shirt too. <laughs> some kind of way about this. Yeah. Just gonna call it out. All right, Van Lathan. Also, I just want to say your your name is not very agreeable with autocorrect. You ever notice that? No, nah, what does it say? I was, I was getting a lot of can larynx instead can of can larynx. Yeah, just it refused to believe what that the fuck I actually are you wanted on to. Your shit? Well, I'm just like typing the notes, so I write Van Lathan, and then I start writing some stuff down below, which I actually didn't even look at. But I'm I'm trying to write Van as a first name, and then as soon as I start to write the L, it just becomes convinced that I wanted to write can for the first word. <laughs> I swear to God, I did it three times in a row, and I was just like, I wonder if he deals with this. So I, the can thing, I do the larynx thing, no. The larynx Nathan. thing tells me more about what you type in than anything else. <laughs> I don't know if I ever said larynx. Right, larynx. Like the Dr. Seuss book, or like the part of your body? The larynx is like right here. What's the Dr. Seuss book? That's I, pharynx or something. Didn't right? he have a book called the larynx? Is it? The, I don't know. I don't know. If, I, if he I does, I probably ever read it since I was in elementary <laughs> school, but for some reason it's lodged in my brain. All right, shit. Well, hey, I appreciate you, man. Thank no you for problem, coming brother. on. No problem, man. Van Lathan, No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you to Laura for lining this up. Yeah, Laura. Big shout out to Laura. You, Laura. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you, man.